Hey, yo, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the Road Podcast. This is the special Miami edition presented by DJ City. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We got DJ Never. Yo, what up? We got DJ D Miles. What's good, Miami? And we have Jamie the Great. And we got a special homie here, a major fixture in Miami, a promoter, a tastemaker, bar owner. We got my man Raul. And what we up? and we got a special guest. I would say an icon in New York nightlife. Yeah. I've I've looked up to this dude. A lot of people has been put on by this man. And I've been I unfortunately never got to DJ any of his parties, but his parties are legendary. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a major fixture in hip hop. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, but we got the amazing Bill Spector in the building. What's good? Yeah. Man? Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> What's good? I'm glad. I'm, I'm not used to all those accolades. Wow. <laughs> um, what do you call? It? Thank you for being here, man. It's like an honor, yo. For real. Well, thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you just flew in from Morocco. Yeah, I was there for a wedding. It was kind of some next level thing. I never thought I'd be there. <laughs> wow, <man. laughs> and uh, yo, by the way, we're we're so happy to have you here. I've always been a fan of like all, everything you've done in the '90s. I've heard so much, and I want. I, I, I've never experienced. Like, I was lucky enough to experience. Yeah, never you experienced it. You was yeah. around, yeah. but like nightlife in the '90s in New York. It's always been like, I don't know, it's just a fantasy to me, man. Like, I hear about it. It was like the golden era of hip-hop, mm-hmm. and you guys went through it all. And, yeah. and Bill, you had a, a, a large part of it. You know, you were a big part of it, you know? Thanks. It was an interesting time, and, you know, we got to ride the wave of golden era hip-hop along with getting to do amazing hip-hop parties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we took a left turn when everybody else was going straight, and it, it kind of made an impact, not... Not knowing what we were gonna do, yeah. Like, you know, we just we didn't like the status quo, so we did it do it yourself, and it kind of was exploded, I guess. Not not just for us, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Crooked. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things about you know, and one of the things that me and Bill always again also had in common, and I think I I said it with Tizza as well. It's like we were all into punk rock, hardcore, mm. and you know that sort of you developed this DIY attitude where like. Yo, we don't fucking need you. We just do it on our own. And whatever everybody's doing, you do the opposite. Right. That's and that's sort of the mentality that I think we've had. It kind of translated in hip hop. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like the beginning of hip hop as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Punk mm-hmm. and hip hop were always intervene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they they started about the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it's like punk rock was like the white version of hip hop. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's like you didn't want to look like nobody else. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. Like as soon as something was like. As soon as it was widespread and played out, we were just like, "Yo, that shit is whack," and we yeah, we're just like whatever. One, yeah. yeah, for sure. And you're you're from Queens. Yes, a hundred percent. Queens get the money. Queens. Get the- <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to know because did you grow up around the MC Shan and the um, when DMC Karis one BDP? Well before that, I grew up in the yeah. LL Run DMC era. Okay, and you know they were from Queens, and the thing with Queens was Queens was kind of the wilderness. Like you know, it was like. It was the only suburban type of borough yeah. that Staten Island ended up getting after. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to Staten Island once. That's no. You're a true New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. I've never <laughs> been, I've been <laughs> there. Yeah. It's a big thing. You, <laughs> maybe you went there to go to Great Adventure or to go to Jersey. You would cut through it. But most people never went to Staten Island. There wasn't really a need. It was very suburban. And, mm. 
and hard it's hard to access so you even uh so you grew up around ll run dmc ll was around my age or maybe a year younger he went we went to the same high school hillcrest i didn't really know him but you know they definitely tried to put him under pressure and i'm just glad i wasn't put under pressure (laughs) so you know and they they used to fuck with him in high school they fucked with anybody oh shit i mean um i was from when i went to school was where the crew, not the band, the, the Supreme Team. Oh, shit. Yeah, oh, wow. They, wow. Oh, I went, shit. I went to junior high school with, the, with, with most of them. Really? Whoa. Damn. <laughs> Damn. And they would tell me good things like in 1983 or 1985, when we kill all the devils, we'll try to save you because he was always cool with us. <laughs> 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 That's not <laughs> shit. And um, you know what? I'd give him two thumbs up. I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> So was it a pretty like a, was it pretty mixed school like was there no the school well where I grew up was pretty mixed you know where yeah. I grew up was say lower middle class mm-hmm. but it was a couple blocks away from Jamaica and once you got in Jamaica it was in Brave New World where I went to school was probably four thousand black kids a thousand Spanish kids and like five hundred white kids I immediately yeah. assessed the situation <laughs> I had already was into the whole hip hop thing. Mm-hmm. And I made up myself blend more into the Spanish kids. Yeah, yeah you, you I knew this Cuban. <laughs> well, when I was skinnier, I looked more Spanish. Fatter I got, the Jewisher I got. <laughs> <laughs> My personality's always been a neurotic Jew, though. Neurotic <laughs> Jew. Like, it goes. It goes. Goes hand in hand, kind of right. A thousand a percent. Yeah. So then, like growing up in Queens, being surrounded by hip hop and everything like that, was there a fascination about Manhattan? Like it was just like that was kind of like all these, you know. All the parties were there. All the clubs and bars were there and stuff like that. It actually happened to me backwards. Without the black and Spanish kids, there was a Guido neighborhood close to me, Ozone Park, where John Gotti was from. I grew up with one of, with one of his children. And the Guido kids would go to this club, The Fun House. Mm-hmm. And I was young, and I would tag along with them even before I was in high school. And they brought me to The Fun House. Which was and a freestyle. They played freestyle music. Yeah, but there was, was hip-hop things. It was a little bit hip-hop, yeah. But it was and mostly Latin, right? It was like a Latin crowd? It, Fridays was black and Saturdays was Spanish and white. Okay, yeah. With the, with the majority in the beginning being the Guidos mm-hmm. and the Spanish kids at the small floor and then it switched over. It transitioned into a Spanish club with Guidos. <laughs> That's and, like the evolution, right? Of clubs. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Basically. And without those kids bringing me to the fun house where I went further and explored and I learned about Danceteria and I learned about the Manhattan downtown scene, mm-hmm. I would have stayed in Queens. And this was like around 86, right? 85, no. 86? Or? 82. 82. Oh, shit. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I had already, by like 85, I'd already moved to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But without these Guido kids who never left the corner besides going to the fun house, yeah. I would have never learned about a new world out there. Mm-hmm. What were they playing? And in, in like, what were, like, how were the DJs playing? Like, what were they playing? And how were they? It was a jelly. Up? It was the DJ's name was John Jellybean Benitez, mm-hmm. who found Madonna. He was dating Madonna at the time. Oh, shit, it's a legend. And um, one of the amazing things I said before the podcast started is, he would be on the, he would be playing music, and he would turn the music off, and the crowd would start chanting, "It's working, it's, it's working. working," like Beat Street. Huh? And then um, yeah. and then they would start chanting, "Jelly Bean rocks the house." Like thousands of people Shit. would be like giving him this praise, and I was like, "Wow!" And he would spin everything. He would spin mm-hmm. freestyle, house yeah. music, hip hop, 
and the crowd would clap for him, and then they would shout out the boroughs where they were from, and then as soon as uh, Brooklyn came in, you'd hear the slow draw, Brooklyn. <laughs> you could count. You could count down to three minutes later, there'd be a fight. Really, <laughs> sound like a movie scene. Has Brooklyn always had the stigma of just like causing ruckus? And it would always be Brooklyn. From what I remember, yeah, it was just Brooklyn. Brooklyn kids would just yeah, fuck man. it all up, right? Yeah. Brooklyn versus Uptown yep. in the yeah, hip hop yeah. world. Yeah. 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 Is that? Did you realize then and there how important the DJ was? Or yes, I was. I was blown away. And then as I got into the other scenes, like you know, the DJs were a lot less important, like in the punk rock scene, and mm-hmm. and even in more the the white side, like the Danceteria and the Mud Club. And I went to like all these interesting clubs, but the DJ never mattered. But to me, the DJ always mattered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it translated years later when I became a promoter, like you know, when I was working in clubs and I the DJs didn't matter and when I started like 89, 90, and to me it mattered so much. And that's where I, I made the deal to do a party with Stretch. Oh, yeah. Wait. Because at that point there was like either black, black hip-hop parties that Chuck Chillout were playing, Red Alert was playing. Mm-hmm. Clark Kent. Clark Kent, Kid Capri. Yeah. And I wanted to do something different. I wanted to make it more, say, not exclusively this or exclusively that, inclusive to everybody. Mm-hmm. Essentially a downtown party, which people now tell me, which sounds a little offensive to me is they said oh you did the first lane of white hip-hop and i was like no it was just for everybody it wasn't like mitch crown yeah yeah so what did you never want to be a dj no i'm terrible (laughs) but did you try did you want like after seeing jelly bean where you're like shit i kind of want to be a dj a little bit yeah i mean i owned a couple of records the last record i think i bought was rake streak justice (laughs) like 84 85 i really didn't care about that i was I was already living on my own, trying to hustle, like trying to make money to stay yeah, yeah. afloat. Mm-hmm. So, what made you like delve into promotions and promoting your own parties? I worked in a club called MK. Okay. I had worked before in Palladium. Mm-hmm. In Limelight, I was a busboy, a bar back. Yeah. Wow, Palladium too. Yeah, wow. and then subsequently, I was like promotional, one of the promotional directors of Palladium. Years later, I was reading an article about MKs about that night. Um, Queen Latifah at that party. And like, I was just talking about it last night. You know what's so funny about it? I tried to get into that party, but the crowd, it was so busy that they wasn't letting nobody inside the club. So I went home and I found out the next day what had happened. And that it was a party where Chris Lighty got slashed in the oh, face, right? Oh, he definitely 100% did. Yeah. Wait, what happened? What happened at this party? Yeah. Um, it, was it was Queen Latifah's birthday and um, it just wilded out where there was... DSAPs or Scoob and Scrap, nobody really knows, or the A-Team. It was somebody from Brooklyn just flipped. And it was 89, right? Yeah. And nah, it, you know what? It was 90. The only reason I know it was 90 because I had started interning at um, KISS FM, and uh-huh. that was like the first industry party I ever went to. So that's how I know it was like 1990. And one of the promoters actually last night was just talking about it, just so random. <laughs> really? As I'm on a plane flying back from Morocco, and he was saying how they hid Jessica, him, Queen Latifah and I think Chris Lighty's mother hid in a, a storage closet. And I was like, yo, we were barbacks. We were in the middle of the fight. Mm-hmm. One of my boys decided he was going to break things up. I jumped in with him like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Tables got smashed over people's heads. The, the fish tank got destroyed. This place got destroyed. And the owners the next day paid us combat pay. Not really? the, I don't know. <laughs> to this day, I'm not really sure what combat <laughs> pay was. Defending, defending the fort. <laughs> yeah. Because security, the staff, everybody ran out of the building except four busboys and barbacks. Wow. Really? 
Did you guys? Did you guys secure anything? Did you guys hold well, it down? Or? My boy that decided he was going to jump in because he didn't like the beating that was happening. Uh-huh. Subsequently, became a SEAL, and he's the head of SEAL Team Six now. So <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world. AJ, yeah, wow, he yeah, became we, a Navy SEAL. He's yeah. he's the, he's oh, the leader of SEAL Team Six this, oh, to this day. Yeah. Was it true that his his squad found Osama bin Laden? He's he trained them to oh, hunt him down. That's crazy. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> and then you were there. With him, <laughs> he he's the one that jumped in. I wouldn't have jumped in. I was yeah. I was trying to run. He was yeah. like, "Bill, come on, let's keep it." <laughs> yeah, like, but it, AJ's like a different. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but. yeah. <laughs> he, was from, he was from Trinidad. He understood only honor. Shit. She was Jesus. like, "Come on, no. we have to. This is not right." And I was like, "Fuck it." <laughs> like if I had anything to let loose in my pants, I would have let loose. But then this guy jumping in the fight. And you mentioned Jessica, Jessica Rosenblum, right? Yeah, that was her party. You know, and she's a major part of this of of uh, New York nightlife. Yeah. Listen, she's the unsung hero. Mm-hmm. I love her. Whether she was my competition, which she was, mm-hmm. whether she was my partner for years that she was, whether we did things together or against each other. But without her, the, the golden era of hip-hop, that's hip-hop, she is an integral part of it. And because she was so peculiar and so attention to detail and would flip on anybody that didn't do exactly as she said, she was kind of like ousted. Mm-hmm. Like they would, She got us to pay Puffy to host a party for $150. Like, you know, we were like, who's this guy? She was like, he's going to bring a lot of girls. Wow, yeah. and you actually cheap break for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> He's almost at a billion. <laughs> and, you, and your first party was with her, and actually, Stretch, we, right? No. no, we were competition. We went. To, they had the established party, and we decided we were going to do it against her. Oh, and it was this sheets and pillows? Yeah, we did. A, it was a wasn't supposed to be, but it ended up becoming a moving hip hop yeah. party. It moved, and it would. We put up flyers and stickers and mm-hmm. hand out things again. Do it yourself mentality. Mm-hmm. That said, sheets and pillows. You find it Fridays, and we would announce on Thursdays where it would be. Oh shit! Yeah. How would you announce it? On a a voicemail. A voicemail. You'd call a beeper number, and the beeper number would tell you on Thursday night. Get the fuck out of here! Just got him out with him off in the street (laughs) where the party was at. Get out of here! Well, we were we would spend half the week looking for a venue. (laughs) You you didn't know where the party at was until the night of the party where the party was. And everyone would just call the number. Yeah, and there was on the flyer. No. Do we give out the flyers? It was a flyer also. It, the flyer would say, for more info or yeah. find out, and you'd call up the number, and the number would say, because we'd spend the whole week looking for it. I would have to go in yeah, and like go in like a real Jewish guy. I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to do a party for a couple hundred of my friends. Can we yeah. rent your loft? <laughs> or can we have your nightclub? That was like the first party I went to where I saw Stretch DJ and saw Stretch Armstrong for the first time, because I always thought he was a black DJ. When I didn't realize he was white until that party, and I was like, oh, shit. From the stretch in Barbito, you always thought he was black? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. He got it all the time. He'd always be like, I, I like, am. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> His voice is so deep. So I can't get it. He actually wasn't stretched at that point. He uh, was, fir- was he Skinny Bones? Or uh, DJ, DJ Adrian, right? I think the first one, he was DJ Yo Adrian. Then he became Skinny Bones. Yeah. And then he was um, Stretch. He went to Stretch, yeah. And wow. then I think um, Eli Geisner did a party and called him DJ Big Dummy. <laughs> when you when you decided to start your own like start this first party of yours i kind of i'm really intrigued because flyers were so important right how they like who designed like how they looked well we did designed. we did them on the cheap we did them in kenko's we also did a lot of wheat pasting graffiti we bombed all the gates we had like tags wow. everywhere so you, you really it, needed like a street team right well we were the street team we didn't hire one yeah, yeah. 
I mean, Jessica, again, much more organized. The same year when after we competed, we did a Wednesday together at the bank. Mm-hmm. And Dante Ross came in and gave us a, a million artists to perform. And I got all oh, these shit. legendary performances. And it was like, I guess the culmination, even though those parties were a lot more hip hop and a lot of my crowd didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Like Sheets and Pillows was a lot, a lot more. We had punk rock kids. We had like white sub- suburban kids, even though they grew up in Upper East Side. But, you know, they weren't like they wouldn't go to a hip hop party. And when I brought them to the Wednesday party it was much more a hip hop party. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were just kind of alienated by it because we'd you'd hit the sheep meadow and bring kids from the meadow, like hippie dudes, like, hey, cool party, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were mentioning the Decepticons earlier. And I, I mean, we were talking a little bit about the Decepticons. I'm always intrigued by gang life. And that's the closest thing that New York had at the time for me when I was growing up was the gang life and the Decepticons. Did you when you were doing parties and all of this shit going on? Were they, like, did you see them? Were they affecting any of the parties? Were- well, we'd really hold them down outside. Like, I mean, we didn't really have a problem with the Decepts, thank God. I mean, they did come a couple times. You know, we had the other bigger crews, like, which were the robbers of people, like the A-team. And then I the- had the Supreme, some Supreme Team kids that I grew up with mm. would come. And it, yeah, the they low def- lives also, right? Yeah, we had low lives. And then mm. I, I even had gangster Guido dudes that would show up and would make things uncomfortable for everybody else so we would try to limit it as much as we could <laughs> well how did you do that you, the you door should... was a war zone so you made the door be really tight outside wow mm-hmm. and who was the door person at the time we went through a bunch we had you know kid people were scared for their lives at that point door people could get got yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know it's not like today where the door person is a celebrity back then the door person was you know, we brought a bunch of people. My boy AJ did the door for a while, even though he was a partner. Mm-hmm. We had John Joseph, John Bloodclot from the Crow Mags did the door. Wow. Um, Andre. Andre. Yeah. Indian Andre yeah, did the man. door. Um, <laughs> we even had we even brought in like old school club dudes like Michael Tron. Mm-hmm. And in '91, I also had Gilbert. Rest in peace, Gilbert did the door for me, mm-hmm. who was like an old school gay icon, and and it was so funny watching him. Probably the, one of the best. Dorman, he he moved to Miami a yeah. few years later, and to this day, he's like one of the best doormen. But there's an who's, art. Who's the chick shit, right? that did the door? I forgot her name, and she was like kind of a bitch. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> oh man, I forgot her name, but she was like tough at the door. She'd be like Zoya. There you go. Yeah. And then you know the younger kids had like people like Sherry who was still doing the another door. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know back then again it was a different world. Like you know the door people had to be you know, a tougher mentality because they would get beef to on the street. People would step to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, would, how would they finesse that? How would, how would you avoid that? Ready to fight. Really? Listen, it was a different world. You know, people don't fight now. It's put it on social media. You'll be on World Star only in Dade. <laughs> right. yeah. Back then, fights, unfortunately, happened. Yeah, shit, a lot. <laughs> you, didn't think of, you didn't think of hiring any off-duty cops? We always had off-duty cops. <laughs> but even they, that, they weren't going to do anything. No, Listen, it's no. against the law in New York to have off-duty cops work for you. So that people know they're off-duty cops. They're scared of them. But if they knew the law, they knew that the cop wasn't going to pull out because he would be reprimanded by the force for working. So uh, what made you go from the punk rock parties to full-on hip-hop? 
Well, they kind of morphed into hip hop. I mean, they were hip hop parties, but they yeah. were just for everybody. I just didn't want them to be one lane. Mm-hmm. Like when I was going Only to, you wanted to be like open format pretty much. You're well, like, we didn't know what open format right, was. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was just like, here's a hip hop party. We want to be inclusive to everybody. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. come to this. It's not going to be what Jessica does. It's not going to be what they do. It's not going to be like David Morales at Red Zone. It's not mm-hmm. going to be like Daddy's House, which happened the next year mm-hmm. in Red Zone, which was all which was hip-hop and dope, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the girls that I would invite were like, yo, we're not fucking with that. It was mad. Kind of hood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, people were scared. It was The hip-hop shit was really violent. Mm-hmm. Was it because of the music at the time? Do you think that played a role, or was it just strictly the crowd? Crowd. Listen, it was a violent world back then. You know, those 2,000 murders in New York a year. What's there now, 500? Damn. You know, it's a, just a different, different mentality. Yeah. Know? And it transcended all races, ethnicities. It was just as violent in Ozen Park or Howard Beach as it was in East New York. Just the drug trade was bigger in East New York yeah. than it was in, in Howard Beach. And going through uh, the 90s, there was Sheets and Pillows, Fat Black Pussycat. That's a great, That's a great name. <laughs> when I read that, I was amazed. That we actually brought from Miami. That was a Miami party that That's Gilbert, right, yeah. uh-huh. uh, Gilbert did the door. That's why I'm... And Chris oh, okay. Pacello, and you know, he was like, "Let's bring it to New York." We brought it to New York. You had it was, at Palladium, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and we did a couple thousand people. I think like four or five thousand people. Mm-hmm. How much did you guys charge at the door at that time? Between five and twenty dollars. The money was all at the door. It was all. Oh, they didn't give you a piece of the bar at all. I didn't know a bar percentage existed until I came to Miami in like ninety four, ninety five. Oh shit! And the European promoters explained to me, "You can make money at the bar." I was like, "Really?" <laughs> Damn. <laughs> they just weren't telling you in New York, or they didn't give it. It just didn't exist. But in Europe, oh. in all the south of France, they didn't charge at the door because these people spent so much money at the bar. Right that the promoters realized they needed to make a percentage of that. And the owners were more than happy to give it to them because they brought in big customers. So did you start bar percentages in New York for promoters? Um, everybody's claimed it, but definitely I brought it there. And wow. Because, uh, you know, the that's owners... That's crazy. Say, yeah. Well, the thing is, it, it made sense. I mean, especially when bottle service came into play because before 95, 96, you, it was against the law to buy, to buy bottles in a club. Really? You could only buy champagne. Wow. I didn't know that. So, so you know, in, in these early parties, right, when, like, because uh, the concept to some, some like, younger generations, like, uh, people used to go out and they would just go and order a drink at the bar. Celebrities, yes. everybody. Everyone. If you had money, you would just buy out the bar. Yeah, like, or, yeah, people would buy out the bar. But for the most part, people would go to the bar, buy drinks, walk back to their table if there was a table, or dance. Yeah. You know, there wasn't this real estate that you owned. That came much later. So did so. Was there any? There was still VIP though, right? A, a section. Yeah, but VIP was a very important person. It was somebody interesting. But it, it wasn't was like a section, right? Yeah, there would oh, be. A, we'd have a VIP and a VIP rope, and that would be the cooler section. But it would be the cooler people, not the more the richer people. Mm. So you wouldn't really buy your way into VIP. No. It was like, oh, you're a celebrity, you're an actor, or athlete. You can come chill in this area. Correct. That's where somebody like we brought like Gilbert or Michael Tron that were like fabulous in the other world. We'd bring them in to control that part of our, our party because uh, even though it was a much smaller part, we wanted those people to feel very comfortable. Yeah. And, it, and what time do you think it, it, I mean, obviously it shifted during the bottle service era, right? Oh, it was a total shift. The, the bottle service era, I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, it killed New York, but it definitely changed the whole landscape. The landscape was fully changed mm-hmm. because there was no, the interesting person wasn't important anymore. It was the people with money, right? 
which in Miami worked very well because they didn't mind buying the real estate. In New York, douchiest person bought the real estate. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's when I started DJing during that time. <laughs> during, <laughs> the douchey part. During the, death of like, during the death of New York nightlife, pretty much. But in, in MK's, when I, was a, when I was bartending, one day I, the owners come on both sides of me, and I was like, am I getting fired? Like, you know, they're on both sides of me. I was like, they're like, you know a lot of people. I was like, for sure, they're firing me. <laughs> they were like, do you, do you want to promote? I, I never even heard of a promoter. I was like, promoter? And I was like, is this a way to fire me for giving away too many drinks? <laughs> and they were like, we'll pay you to bring people. I was like, you'll pay me to bring people to the hottest club in New York? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, Thursday's not doing good. I was like, I'll go to Washington Square Park right now and get you 100 people. And they were like, everybody says that. Why don't you start next Thursday? You're going to bring 20 people. And I was like, 20 people? I'll bring the whole park. They gave me like little flyers. They told me they'd pay me three or five dollars a person and that they were going to comp them. I was like, you'll give them free? I was, at that point, working there, I was allowed to bring two people in the club. Mm-hmm. I mean, I snuck them in the back, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. We had them climbing up a second floor window through the building. Really? Fire escape? Yeah. <laughs> I said, come on. And um, long story short, I went to the... I went to the park. I went through the hood. I just hung out for the whole week, and I told people, Thursday, I can get you in. Nobody believed me. <laughs> I did like 160 people the first wow. week. Damn, they man. paid me. I made more money than I had ever made it as a bartender. Wow. The owners were like, how did you do that? I was like, simple. I'm from here. Mm. And they were like, can you do it again? And I was like, sure. I did it the second week. I made $1,000. Oh, shit. I immediately the Jewish side of me came out. I (laughs) I renegotiated. I was like, I don't want five dollars anymore. I was like, you got to give me eight dollars. They didn't blink. They said, sure. I did it the third week and the fourth week. The fifth week, I was like, I need ten. If they're if they're paying me so much on this side, what are they making? Yeah, what's the other side look like? And Mm -hmm. that's when I started. That's when I told Stretch. I went downstairs. I was like, if I do a Friday, would you do it Friday with me somewhere else? And he goes, sure. Wow. And I asked and, Jules, and Jules was like, will you guarantee me the money? And I go, no, I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. And so I did stretch and not stretching Jules. Mm-hmm. And we, three weeks later, started our own party and did like 500 or 700 people. Jesus. I mean, listen, there was more money actually in the MK side, but I just thought there was so much. I was like, if they're willing to pay me this much, there has to be more money on the other side. Right, right, yeah. right. And how, it, how did you meet Stretch? I knew him from the clubs, and, and then in MKs, we became very close. He would, he would store our jackets. We'd bring him down meals from upstairs because we got a staff meal. The DJs didn't get it. Mm-hmm. We just kind of bonded with him, and he was kind of a funny, like, um, and he was like a funny uptown kid, very interesting to us. We hadn't really met kids like that, mm-hmm. like the much more wealthy, sarcastic snide. That like didn't, wasn't something that applied in our lower middle class world, but mm-hmm. very interesting. Because he was from uh, Upper West Side, right? I think Upper East Side. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, Upper East Side. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, so all of these parties that kind of just went like, came. I mean, Fat fat Black Pussycat, Honeycomb Hideout, Fat Sam's Grand Slam. Yes. And then. Actually, that DJ, that party. How did you guys (laughs) meet? How did you guys meet? I used to go to his parties, and then I just started to get into DJing. And I remember asking you, I was like, yo, I'm a DJ, whatever. 
what would I have to do to do one of your parties? Didn't we talk on the corner of Bowery and Bleak? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> shit, remember that shit. Yeah. And then you told me exactly. It's like, yo, you got to, you say, ask me what type of music I play. And I was like, I'm a hip hop DJ. And you was like, yo, you got to mix it up. You got to play a little bit of everything. And then from there, I, I took what he said, mm-hmm. tried, started practicing, mixed up, mixed up my mix, like started playing rock, pop, hip hop. And then from there, I don't we got hooked up to um, Tony Montana. Yes, Tony Montana. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Tony yeah. M. Tony Montana. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you know uh, when a DJ had it? You know, I I found a couple things worked for me. One was the skills, but two was the personality. Our parties were in its own lane at that point, so like you know mm-hmm. something that would work in a Jessica party or a Gungi party, or there was a lot of promoters at that point. But we kind of had our own own lane. Not because we chose our own link, just because we kind of swerved in that direction. We were downtown. We were a little bit of everything. So a DJ had to kind of play everything, where a lot of DJs were specific in one thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we had Kid Capri play, but for us, he could only play like once or twice a year. Clark Kent, too, amazing. But they they were good at their lane, and our lane was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was kind of like only like four DJs in our lane in the beginning was, was Stretch, who skills-wise was the best, Frankie Inglacy, who had his own parties, mm-hmm. like Soul Kitchen. Yeah, right. And then, you know, um, Jules. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they were really the DJs. And then we had the next generation, like, you know, Neva, like, and Mark Ronson. And Eric Lepeau. Mighty yeah, Mai. Mighty Mai. Eric Lepeau. And Mighty Mai came to me through John Schechter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where we had a bond on something. And because, you know, the skills were great on a lot of DJs. Mm-hmm. Even in that era, but they had to kind of bond because our party had its own lane, had to be able to fit in. And then from one party, we ended up doing like three parties a week, which at that point was like kind of crazy for most promoters did like one party a week. Mm-hmm. We would do three. And so we had a lot more latitude to play with DJs and we tried and finessed a lot of people. Some people were great and worked out and some people we just stayed friends with. So... When you when you started growing and expanding in your promotions, like how many people were working for you at this time? Like how like you probably had your own street team, right? We were the street team. Still, I love the streets. I couldn't sit in an office. I would walk the streets really? every day. In the beginning, in Sheets and Pillows, I used Union as my office, which was James Jebbia and Mar- James Jebbia from Supreme and. Oh, Mar- and Marianne, yeah, they yeah. had they had I was a trying store. to think of her name over there. Yeah, and yeah, they I, owned <coughs> Union at the. At and Sydney. I would literally post up there, mm-hmm. buy everybody lunch, get my faxes there, get my mail there. I got <laughs> everything there. Union? What? Union? Yes, it was the it was yeah, the, um, the original York. Union. Yeah, and that's where you used to go to find out where all the good parties was at because uh, yeah. they used to leave the flyers there on the counter. And mm. so I literally would go down there every day. It was like three blocks from my house. I would hang out with James, talk shit, hang out. Marianne was always on the premise. Mm-hmm. And that's why even when Supreme opened, they offered us they offered us an office downstairs that Shady ended up taking. And But, you know, it was already... I, at that point, I had like a whole thing. By 94, I had an office. Not a street team, but, you know, like one or two guys. Mostly now at that point was in mailings. Sending out mailings every day two or three days to like 30,000 people. Wow. Oh, damn. Yeah. Holy shit. What time yeah. usually did your party start? And what time would they end? They started at 11. 4.30 yeah. was, was, the, was when we closed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 4 o'clock is like last call. So the clubs, if we made it to 4 o'clock, they would, they would be kicking us out at that point. 
But it would be packed until four o'clock. Always. Unless a fight happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like you were in the circles with like Supreme and you mentioned uh Shecky, John Schechter before. Amazing. Shout out to it, John Because Shechter. of the Source magazine and everything. And yeah. I mean, what was that like at that time? Just having like all your homies like kind of starting their own shit and being successful at it and being everything tied to hip hop, you know what I mean? The funniest thing is it encompassed all of our life. Like right. we didn't understand there was something out of it. Like it wasn't like a lifestyle. We were just living that, and we thought that the whole world was our little lane. How we were, how we were going, that's how the lane was going. It was normal. It was a norm. It wasn't like no big deal. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like even meeting rappers that like I looked up to for the most part were like, you know, we'd like mm-hmm. talk to people. Like we had leaders perform for us. They had no street buzz. Leaders at a new school. Yeah. And, you know, talking to Buster. And a year later, they blew up. And we were like, wow. And we talked to him. And he goes, yeah, I remember. Good looking on your party, B. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the legendary rap acts? Or, like, who, who were some rappers that you guys, like, did you guys break any rappers? and Cypress Hills. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, you know, Amanda Shear, who had done parties years before with... Um, She's done parties with Jessica Rosenblum, a party called Car Wash, yeah. which was mm-hmm. kind of the first party that I saw that could have like a little bit of everything, even though it didn't last very long. You know, I saw that it was like kind of like the embryonic stage of where my mind had, had formed into where I'd like to be a party. And mm-hmm. she reached out to me one day and she was like, yo, we have this group. And I was like, what group? And she was like, oh, I'm in the West Coast, Cypress Hill. Can you let them perform? You have all these great performers. You know, we had... At that point, I had brand Nubians performing, leaders of the mm. new school, Tribe, Dela, all performing in the club all the time. Like People were like, how do you get them? And I was like, I, I really don't know. People call me up and say, I need this person to perform. Mm. And um, we let Cypress, we did something for Cypress, nothing. It was like dead silence. Amanda says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Eight months later, they put out a record. A year later, she hits me up. She goes, I got a free concert for you at Cypress Hill. I was like, stop fucking with me. Wow. So they they did a free concert for you guys? Yeah. Wow. And then, well, you know, also Dante was very close to them. You know, it was a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a culmination of, like, the downtown scene was always together. At that time, everyone thought they were from New York, right? Always. Yeah. Cypress Hill. They thought it was Cypress Hill, Brooklyn, which is right next to East New York. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think LA people had no clue they were from LA. Like they literally <laughs> just their sound, everything was so East Coast. Their beats, the production was just East Coast. It just felt like an East Coast group. And then we had weird things that should have been home runs, and they really weren't. We had them give us um this guy Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, mm. mm-hmm. and you know Sons of Mischief. They and things didn't work out, but Dell brought on Ice Cube on stage, and he did the dark skinned girls are better than light skinned girls, and the whole crowd like. <laughs> A thousand people who just sat there with arms folded staring at them like. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd look back at that and that was actually a really dope thing. (laughs) What, what, you know, never talks to me about this. What happened at one of your parties, Mac Daddy's? It was supposed to be a a huge party. That was like the, going to be like the biggest party Manhattan ever had, like a hip hop party. It it actually was. I mean, we did almost 2,000 people, 2,500 people before. There was an infamous fight. Mm-hmm. We had a half pipe in there <laughs> on stage. We had all skaters skating in there. Oh, wow. And um, we decided we wanted to do old school hip hop. Mm-hmm. Even at that time, old school hip hop? <laughs> yeah, they were playing yeah. like old back in the day jam. Stretch was like, playing and he had his 
Like Schoolie D, yeah. LL Cool J, yeah, yeah. Run DMC, shit like that. What and, year was this? Um, 95, 96, okay. maybe. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. when we coined old school as like kind of that old school era. Because yeah. I remember it was like old school was specifically 80s. Mm-hmm. Like hip hop now, old school is like a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now. But like in the nineties, we would say old school was like audio too, and all like that was old yeah. school. And exactly. Shit like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then what was this fight? Can can you go into it a little bit or no? I'll go into it. I mean, you know, everybody's <laughs> from what I heard, it was like Puff Daddy. It was kind of puff, then, it was kind that, of puffy versus the world. At and that the ta- point. this tattoo artist named Renee. Yes, Renee Soto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who's was down with the Booyah kids? He was a New York downtown kid. They were him and Puffy were sleeping with the same girl, and um, Puff came in with the crew. He was, you know, already big at that point, but he had, you know, worked with us. We were cool with him, you know, but he wasn't really in our scene. He was in the more hip hop scene. Our scene. He would come maybe once a month to our things, mm-hmm. and he came and he. I guess he he tried Renee a couple times. And that kid Renee is the calmest kid in the world, and he just kind of walked away from the fight. Next thing I know, a fight just erupts in the club. The whole club is swaying. There's like 2,000 people in there. We had a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, you know, it was like just so many people. It was like, I was never into celebrities, so I didn't really know who was there. But, you know, I would hear subsequently. Yeah. Because I'm an extrovert introvert. Like, I can hide in the corner or mm-hmm. be, as, be this social at the same time. It's, it depends on my mood. Like, I'm happy never to, like, speak. Just sit there and, like, look into space <laughs> as I know what's going on. I feel you. <laughs> And um, this fight happens, Puffy's like, it ends up Puffy's on the losing side, but also, you know, the, the downtown kids are majority there. Mm-hmm. Puffy's there with like six, ten people at the most. Mm-hmm. And Renee was there with like 200 people probably at his back. It was a one-on-one fight, then it became a group fight, then the skaters jump off the stage, mm-hmm. and they start hitting Puffy in the head with their... <laughs> With, with the, the, yeah, the boards. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, this is nuts. <laughs> and they hit the, somebody hits the wall. Harold Hunter hears the explosion. Rest in peace to Harold Hunter. Mm-hmm. And it makes a noise echoing in this whole club, Irving Plaza, which wasn't a club. It was a concert hall. Mm-hmm. And he hits the wall like four more times. And security from the space is, is union security. Doesn't know anything about our club. They, our mentality, they won't let us bring our own security and who knows how to handle everybody right mm-hmm. right and all of a sudden they're like gunshots and now you hear two thousand people charging towards two doors mm-hmm. as we get outside another person that you know puff starts screaming at somebody he's like already been beat up like you know he lost on the losing end and he starts screaming at somebody from downtown and they jump him again Jeez. Oh, <laughs> the next day i get phone calls from like their camp from the bad boy camp from jessica we need to get a hold of these booyah kids give us renee's number <laughs> and i'm like i call renee up and i'm like renee they want your number he goes mm-hmm. give it to them oh wow round three fight they contact him he he already has the booyah kids in town that next day they went and met with puffy everything was squash yeah Wow, man! I didn't know all that. The one uh. thing, the one thing I will say about Puffy in fights, he definitely handles very, very well, even on the defeat side. Not, not in a good way or a bad way. He's obviously a good business guy. I've seen a lot of like, 
He's been in multiple altercations, and he figures it out out at the end Mm -hmm. where to make it amenable to everybody. Not monetarily, but like, you know, where there's, where, you know, you can go forward, where he's going to show up again, Mm -hmm. or they're going to show up again, and everybody's not going to be shooting at each other. Oh, man. He definitely definitely is a astute businessman on multitude of levels. Yeah. At that time, with the... With like Puffy and before when he before he was a with Bad Boy he was a promoter and all of these he was where he was with Jessica you know Mm -hmm. and he did he did a bunch of stuff with us she she did a party with him Daddy's house Mm -hmm. where she kind of gave him his clout wow yeah he was amazing he knew every girl he was driven he he told me something in 1990 and you know he told me one day he goes look at me and we were always close and he goes. I'm be the richest N you ever met in the world. And he goes, you know what I'm saying? And I looked at him. I was like, okay. And he goes, no, no, I'm dead serious. <laughs> so I always look at him. And when we have a conversation, I go, I remember that time you told me that. You're pretty close. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like watching him and his, his come up and, and Bad Boy Era, Craig Mack and Biggie Smalls, even right before when he was at Uptown mm-hmm. with Mary J. Blige. All, were there all those artists just totally involved with the parties? They were always out. Well, and Mary J came a little bit. Um, Big, we had some. We didn't let him in because he brought in too much of a, a Brooklyn mm. posse. We yep. did let him in. We didn't let him in. Andre Harrell was always in. Russell came. You know, they liked at that point. They liked much more the bougie shit than our shit. But they still came to our thing because they would see what's bubbling, with the kids five, ten years younger than them. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely the era of like Puff and Jay, and Q-Tip would come to the parties. I knew him from Queens. You know, we would, and he, and we always were close. And then, you know, the Daylock kids were around, the Jungle Brothers. Wow. And all them, you know, they they performed all the time. Like, I I take for granted that you could get a performance out of somebody for for free or for on the strength or pushing their album. Like, it made no sense. Like, later on, like, as I was doing parties in the 2000s or, now and an artist tells me I want fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh? "People don't do that for free." <laughs> like in a very naive sort of yeah. way, not in a mean sort of way. Like I'm getting over. Did you know how special it was though? Like not how, a clue. No, no. It was just like they were just homies, and you were just like, or just it was just it. that. Yeah, we were just living it. We didn't understand how great right. we had it. Until one day it was all gone. It's so like, crazy. I mean, not even cap your parties. Nuts, man. Right before Titanic? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Did you ever have like a, maybe a real memorable night, an epic night of a performance that you'll never forget? I mean, so many of them were just yeah. like where you'd have like six of them, like the greatest rappers of that point just be on stage. And you're just like, how did this just happen? Yeah. <laughs> because there was no threatening the sound guy. There was like, it was like. Because I would see all that, like, when I would go to concerts of those, you know, like, and they would, like, be beefing with people. And, and in our parties, they would just be getting on the mic, whether it was choppy or great. And and even sometimes when the DJs would be annoyed, they'd be like, dude, get these guys off. Right, right. And I think back now, and I'm like, get them off ever? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when, when that happened, like, they'd be at home, like, let's say, I don't know, Tribe would be there. And they'd be like, yo, was it, like... We're going to drop an album. Can we just like jump on or can we push more, this? More up? like we are dropping an album and we, we're going to get on and yeah, do yeah. three songs. <laughs> and then from your perspective, you're like, oh, cool. Like just, yeah. That, that. Truth be told, Stretch handled a lot of that. Yeah. Or when we used Clark Kent, you know, a lot of them dealt with that. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with the drama at the door, the money. Mm-hmm. 
and um, dealing with fragile people's egos, not not performers. Like, you know, people, I waited outside for 20 minutes, like, say, a puffy or, you know, any or even a drug dealer that that's feelings were hurt. Why my boy stuck outside? Like, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, uh, let me figure this out. Let me go outside, pop my head out, get threatened by 50 people, <laughs> pop my head back in. <laughs> And, and, like, supermodels and models were always at these parties, pretty they, much? They came all the time. They were very interested in what we were doing, you know, and we were interested in them. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Because I, I remember, I think I came up, like, when I started, when some of the clubs were actually letting me in and it was, like, I was actually able to see some of this shit. Mm-hmm. was, like, the Rockefeller era. And I, I started seeing, like, these, like, you know, Sports Illustrated supermodels hanging out with, like, Rockefeller. And then to be, like, Aaliyah. It was like such a weird, and then Mark Ronson would be DJing, and I'm yes. like, yo, this is like the most eclectic room of like, just like artistic, creative people. Well, he, he was know? the second coming for us, like yeah. after Stretch, he came, and he was he had a band called the Whole Earth Mamas, and he was like, let me DJ, let me open, let me open, and I was doing a party at the Grand called True, and he was like, come on, let me open, and I was like, he was like, I can bring people from Uptown, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest that I was a little skeptical because he really wasn't in the vein of like where we were. Mm-hmm. And he opened and he was good, even though he was hated on by a lot of the older DJs. Really, really, really hated on. Mm-hmm. Why were, they were hating on him? Because they just felt like he came from. They, they wanted to do the party. Yeah. And they also, you know, thought that I was hiring him because he's a pretty kid. But he his musical thing, you know, he really came up quick and he brought people and he was amazing. And he actually was really good for us. And always stayed the same person, you know, minus a couple little nuances, you know. <laughs> Did he try to, like, hide his British accent? I used to hear that all the time with Mark. He never had it. And I'm, back in the days, I never noticed it. Somebody like, asked him about it when I was with them personally, and, he, and which may be true. Listen, he, his, Roman Jones, who's his half-brother, has one. Mm-hmm. His parents, Roman Jones, uh, yes, his half stepbrother, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow! And um, I didn't know that. <laughs> they have it. His parents have it, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I just suppressed it a lot more." And then as I started sit- sitting with these people, I was like, "It came out." So listen, that could be true, and I, all good. But I can say one thing: now he still takes the phone call, the email, mm-hmm. the text, come hang out. He's pretty much to He's, me. I mean, I haven't done any business with him. The same person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looks a little different, right? Ecstasy. <laughs> he he was the first DJ I heard him and well stretch as well, but uh, like play like like the Strokes and like G Dep, like in the at, in the same like you know couple songs away, and I was just blown away mm-hmm. at like just uh, DJs being able to mix these genres up and just have it sound flawless and everyone just vibe vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And how how important was it to just always mix it up at your parties? For me, the DJ was the epicenter of everything. Mm. Like, I could do it in a shithole or the most beautiful club. The DJ had to keep the room rocking. Right. Like, if he couldn't keep the room rocking, everybody would notice everything else. Because sometimes we had beautiful venues, and sometimes we rented lofts. And they were like, people's beds were in the middle of the 5,000 square feet. <laughs> And, you know, the first, like I said, wave was Stretch, and the second wave was Ronson, and the third wave was was, was AM, mm-hmm. you know. And he definitely, I know people love talking about him, but to me he was special for another reason because 
I got to see the Kid Capris, the Ron G's, the great DJs mm -hmm. that did the mixtapes. And mm -hmm. all of them were great. And the best of their trade. Mm -hmm. And the stretches of the world. And you guys. But the thing about AM is his enthusiasm never waned as from as good as he got and as big as he got. They always kept at the same level. And I think that's something that was, that was you know, that we never seen. Because, like, you know, Stretch got great. And then he kind of got beat up in hip hop, and he was like, ah, "I'm over it." So you could see him playing, and his enthusiasm wasn't there. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he, he went through like kind of. Um, he just got like he not. He just got over it, right? Because I remember he, this is when, when I started DJing. This is when he was doing the Soho Grand, I think. Yes, and he Monday just, nights. And yeah. he's like, "I'm not doing anymore." He was just so over the hip hop parties, and and he was just like, "I'm just gonna play rock." Yeah. So. Everyone that knew of Stretch would just go to the Soho Grand, mm -hmm. but they'd kind of be like, what is he Tribeca playing? Tribeca Grand. Tribeca Grand. That's what it was. And we'd all be like, what the fuck is he playing? Like, this is Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah. A, where AM came in that made him the apex. And mm -hmm. I think from the older generation looking back, as opposed to the younger generation looking you know, back, he was great. And his, like I said, his enthusiasm to playing like he was just as hungry on his first day as he was on his last day even when he told me i'm over it like you would look at him play and he was so enthusiastic like he was mm -hmm. such the dj nerd and he always and, and and you were you the first to bring him out i was the first to bring him to vegas to new york and to miami wow i mean and where did through, you hear him though john Schechter. but the thing is milo would always talk about him mm-hmm and we had a, promote, a promoter of my partners back in the day, Ethan Brown, who was very close with him. Mm -hmm. They lived together back in the day. I mean, they had a million fist fights, but they also, yeah. they, and he would talk about them, you know, and then you'd have people like Alchemist, who was a regular in my parties in New York, and his brother would always oh, AM, AM, AMG. And uh, Michael Goldstein, yeah. And when I hung out with him, Schechter was like, you, you need to put him on. And he goes, have I ever steered you wrong? And I go, Sheck, you gave me one DJ. Mighty mine. He's amazing. <laughs> so you're batting, you're batting a thousand here. <laughs> no, this guy's the truth. We, we hung out. I got him a gig. Blown away by him. We, we nerded out about music. He was like, how many records do you own? I got to see your record collection. I was like, I haven't bought a record since 85. I don't even own a CD. <laughs> and he was like, What? And I was like, I just remember all this stuff in my head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that was it rare at that time to fly someone to New York, like from L.A. to DJ? Because we I, didn't we didn't pay him that much, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And he was so enthusiastic about doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the time, like I brought him to Vegas, we brought him. He did the opening weekend in light by accident. Yeah, um, Val was telling me that. I didn't know. They they wouldn't. Andrew was like, "There's no way I'll book him. It doesn't matter." Andrew, He's, Andrew Sasson, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. he doesn't matter. Who was my doorman in New in Miami years before? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Groove Jack. Right? Yeah, I can't picture him being a door guy. He's, just can't, yeah. Why he's good at being a dick? He was just <laughs> such a dick. <laughs> Listen, I can say I can say that with impunity because he enjoys being a dick. Yeah, that's him. That's that's just him. <laughs> well, one thing I will say about Andrew Sasson that I I always admired was that. He, he was a dick, but it was like it was a purpose kind of. Oh, shout yeah, out to yeah. him! I had yeah. I had I had dinner with him a month ago. I love I love him, but he'll be abrupt and he'll tell you how he feels yeah, and yeah. call me fat or stupid or you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. he doesn't care. Like you know he's not a guy with a filter. 
He's the first owner I ever seen when the bar got busy. He went to the barn and helped the bartenders make drinks, and he like helped the bus boys. And I was like so impressed by that. I was like at his work ethic and all that shit. But yeah, listen, he he sold his company three times. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so then you had AM spin. I took a weekend. Yeah. We did we did memor- we did a weekend in Vegas, mm-hmm. and then we did the trade shows in Vegas, and then Memorial Day came. And I booked out all the nights, and I got Kid Capri in Babies. I begged Kid the Capri in Babies with we, AM. We, 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 with AM. Oh shit! Wow. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! I had him in. I had House of Blues stretching and AM. Mm-hmm. At that point, AM had never seen a billboard with his name on it. He stood below it for about an hour and a half, <laughs> just like staring at. It. Not take a picture with me. He was like, "Whoa!" What year was this? Like two thousand, two thousand one, maybe. Damn. And um. He was all he kept on saying. He was calling everybody. Yo, my name is on a billboard. People like take a picture of it. He goes, I did that already. But yo, my name is on the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you were doing parties in Miami and Vegas. Like, so you were bringing all of these New York people to Miami and, and Vegas. Yeah. But well, these are like what three day weekends, holiday weekends. And Correct. Stuff? So and, and I was doing my Puerto Rico as well. We tried a bunch of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, what? How did that? How did that evolve? Like we thought that that was the move, like because we didn't understand that clubs would actually take take an initiative on their own. Mm-hmm. We did a after every club told us they wouldn't pay for AM. We booked AM for three nights in a row mm-hmm. because he was cheap and because he was going to bring people. And his skill was tremendous, enough to the mm-hmm. point that AM had the um, AM had the small room, and Kid Capri had the big room. AM pulled the people, and really? we did thousands of people. We did so many people that that the owners, the Morton family, had us have a meeting with them three weeks later to get the check. And the owner was like, he was like, who is this guy from New York? What's your name? And I was like, Bill Spector. And I was like, can I get my check? And he goes, why the fuck did I pay this idiot when I, ha- and I have to pay all you idiots? He goes, I should just hire him and fire everybody in this room. Wow. The whole staff Shit. was like looking at me. You'll never work here again. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so like I remember in the summertime did you do Hamptons like parties in the Hamptons as well I did a little but I really wasn't into the my whole thing wasn't bougie it was everybody I mm. wanted my whole concept of a party was the D train in rush hour I wanted a supermodel next to Nas a gay dude next to a Republican I wanted it all <laughs> to be the same people in the train what New York was encompassed in my mind and what what tied you in with Raul in Miami and you know How'd you guys meet? How did that I meet? met him in Uncle Sam's in yeah, a record store. Yeah, that was the record store I worked at. So the funny story is that I, you know, I'm like a nerd. I used to read every magazine, you know, like The Source, Rap Pages. Yeah. So I, I remember The Source. I think, I don't know if it was The Source or Stress. Rap Pages. Stress or Magazine. Stress Magazine. Yeah. You know, they used to do like a... Shout out like to a, Alan Kett. Like <laughs> a city report. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're like, oh, this is the hot stuff going on mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. And like, I would read all that, you know. So I was like reading and I remember seeing like, oh, there was this dope party and the promoter was Bill Spector. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, Bill used to come into the store to drop off flyers. Uh-huh. And, and you know, and I'm like, one day I'm, I picked up the flyer and I'm like, Bill Spector on the flyer and then Bill Spector on the magazine. So I'm like, is it the same guy? Like he's in New York. Why is he in Miami? Mm -hmm. So he comes in and I'm like, and I went up to Bill. I'm like, Hey, you know, are you the same, you know, dude in the magazine? He's like, yeah, it's, it's me. 
Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm, <laughs> and at the time, I, I started doing record promotions. I started. I worked for Loud Records and yeah. Loud. Uh, I mean, Loud and Ruckus. Mm-hmm. And I used to actually go to all the parties to drop off um, records to all the DJs. DJs. Yeah. So I used to go to Bill's parties, but the only way I was going to get in was to bring in records. Uh-huh. So I, you know, I'll come in, bring in records, and stay for yeah, a little bit. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, then I start. You know, once I, you know, I'm like, oh, I put everything together. Bill's running the party. You know. Yeah. And so I want, you know, and at the time I had just moved to the beach. I, you know, I wasn't making much money at the record store. So I kind of needed an ec- another job at the time, you know, also doing promotions for Loud and Ruckus, mm-hmm. you know, but they didn't pay anything yeah. really, you know. So I'm like, you know, Bill's like, oh, why don't you come work for me? You know, I see you come to all my parties. You bring in, you know, bring the records. You actually do the work, you know. Why don't you start working for me? And I was like, I kind of needed the money. So I started, you know, I was already doing like street promo so this was like he was like oh, i'll pay you ten dollars an hour and at the time you know i think the minimum was like five you know that, so i'm like wow yeah, right yeah so i was like whoa ten dollars an hour so i started passing out for bill uh flyers for bill for a couple of years mm-hmm. for a lot without him we our, our group wouldn't grow exponentially 100 percent. so at, at the time oh, bill uh, had a company called smack which mm-hmm. is a uh, specter mm-hmm. mole from live mm-hmm. angel from uh, oh, wow. foxhole mm-hmm. and racket uh, and uh, Conrad yeah, from mm-hmm. the same um, racket and uh, Foxhole as well. So that was the the company, and I, that's who I worked for. But Bill brought brought me in, and basically, you know, I was sort of like Bill's sidekick. You know, I was like, I was just like, you know, and I, and I, at the same time, I was learning. You know, what I mean, like, I, like you know, how how you would do a deal. Like, I would go to Vegas with Bill, mm-hmm. and I'd just sit down and you know, like, who's this guy? You know, I was like. Just sitting in a meeting with him, <laughs> trying to get a party done, and you know, just listening to Bill on how to, you know, work the work a room, mm-hmm. get a deal, get you know, budgets, all that, and you know, that's how I learned. I mean, I I was basically Bill's like little right hand man, right hand man. Was this the but, home cooking party? Yes. Yeah. He was we, working? Well, he Bill, we, Bill we, was we, doing. We did doing, home cooking since like '96. Yeah, yeah, but Bill at the time was doing. Uh, he was doing like. Three, four parties, Bill. Because he was yeah. going to New York and Miami. He was going yeah. back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Well, um, how did we, you? Wait, how did they? How did you juggle that? Like, we uh, we we actually did home cooking in New York at, at Shine until uh, Jay Z shouted it out and the owners fired us. Oh wow! <laughs> Wednesdays at Shine and and the owners just weren't happy about it. They were like, "This is not going to be good." Oh, man. Can we can we talk about that a little bit? Why, what was the stigma of like uh, when people were scared of the hip hop hip hop guys because that was still violent, and New York was changing. New York was becoming the city that it is now, kind of like whitewashed, homo- homogenized version version of what it once was. Mm-hmm. And you know the owners were really scared of the rapper rappers because mm-hmm. they thought it brought like a bad crowd or like a hood crowd. It's funny, and different people saw it as different ways. Like you know. You'd have you'd have people say from Club Cheetah to come Club Amnesia, yeah. and we were doing parties in both. And the Amnesia thing was definitely a shout to our party, because mm-hmm. at that time our party was the only party that played hip hop. No other party in Amnesia was playing hip hop. Mm-hmm. And you know Amnesia was very excited about it. Cheetah, not so much. <laughs> I mean, though it, it it probably wasn't about our party. It was about the Monday party. Yeah. Um, well, Cheetah was known for doing hip hop parties. Yeah, but they still okay. didn't. They wanted to be. They wanted to be much more discreet about it. I mean, that was the most hood party. Yeah, anything, man. Yeah. Especially during yeah. the later years. I remember Adam Lublin. <laughs> oh, that's the only one. <laughs> yeah. He worked for us for years. He, I remember him used to give out flyers on um, Union Square. Yeah, he was the hardest. Yeah, he was the hardest worker ever. He he went from a flyer guy to a partner in uh, six weeks. 
Wow. Damn. <laughs> what, what was your favorite era? Was it that era kind of in the late 90s to... That era was definitely the most financially feasible for me, but, you know, definitely much more interesting in the early 90s. In the mm-hmm. early 90s, I was still young and green, and I was learning from everything, mm-hmm. including a punch in the face, you know, everything I learned from. Late what, 90s. What I happened would, with a punch in the face? When did that Not happen? literally, but... Oh, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> Listen, it, it definitely happened, but, you know, I'm just saying, like, everything was a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, in the late 90s, you know, it was all, it, it became a lot of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was fun, but it was a lot of business. Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you the go-to guy that they called? when they? N- not for industry stuff. Mm. Industry stuff, like if they wanted to do much more fluffy and light stuff, they would contact Jessica for the most part. And Jessica would contact me if it was like much more easy listening or like, you know, like she gave me. She gave me Jay-Z a, con- a bunch of times, you know, when they wanted to break him more on the white side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he never talked. He just sat no. there and looked at you. He's been the same personality <laughs> since day one. Dame would talk, and Jay would just stare at you. He'd really? give you a handshake, but he would just be like, what's up, B? <laughs> <laughs> like a conversation with him. How was uh, dealing with Dame? Listen, he's a very interesting guy. Yeah. yeah, full of ideas, full of, but you know, he also thinks that he created the world. <laughs> I can see that. Interesting. Yeah. He was like the major fixture I would see in nightlife. Yeah, those yeah. guys. Yeah, for me, they were like the. I I'm probably wrong, but at that time, they to me they crossed hip hop over. No, it, to it, like yeah, because you're talking about the Richie Akiva era and the Mark yep. Rose era. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure, mm-hmm. it was you know the kings of the of the scene at that point. You know, I was kind of getting pushed out because I didn't want to deal with the powers that be. I wanted to still do my do-it-yourself mentality mm-hmm. in New York, which wasn't feasible. And I was slowly being, you know, pushed towards the, you know, out of out of that cool guy world, which was cool. Mm-hmm. I still went into my own lane and made money and it came back to me. But it was, you know, Jay-Z and Puffy were the kings of the world at that point. I mean, yeah. obviously, they yeah. still are in, in the hip-hop world. Uh, I at that time, like with bottle service emerging and becoming like the new standard in New York, right? How how did you see the the shift happening? And yeah, of course, we did a party in in Chaos at that point on Sunday nights. Chaos, yeah, and um, huge club, yeah, yeah. yeah. and we did huge numbers. I mean, because we were doing it in Miami as well, mm. but you'd see it like the owners would be like, "How do we get a better crowd?" I'd be like, "Cut our bottle, bottle service." And they'd be like, no, do you see the numbers we're doing? And I was like, of course, I get a dividend check from it. But you asked a different question. Mm-hmm. How do we get a better crowd is you get rid of bottle service. You know, otherwise you can't pick and choose. Somebody can circumvent anything. They have money. Right. You know, then was the era of, you know, you're doing the club and you have to bring a cash machine to take people's money because you're getting dope boy money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, that, at that time when bottle service, like, started emerging and they started letting all of these people in just because of the money factor what was the defining what was the defining gear or point where you were like oh my god this is this is not good like this is just gonna ruin shit well for us we were making money we just we just saw it changing we were like it just is what it is and you were just like we have to let these people in mm-hmm. yeah. listen the the thing is the shitty crowd was still my friends like mm-hmm. you know what I mean I just was able to blame it on the club or whatever or just not let them in. But at that point, when they can circumvent everything, we're like, okay, let them in. You know, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy, like, uh, to see how, I mean, 
Where, where, where did bottle service first emerge? Was it Miami? Um, like the south of France. South all, of France. All right. through, all well, through Europe. States, yeah. All through Europe. In Miami and in, in the States. And it came to Miami first? Um, I believe so. Probably. And then it leaked over to New York. Yeah. And then Vegas after that. And then Vegas just Vegas put it like on a, steroids. Right? Well, well yeah. Vegas didn't exist. I mean, when we went there in 99, we, yeah. did, we did like the wave and Utopia and the mm-hmm. drink. And the first, club, the first club people we met were in the House of Blues. Mm-hmm was, you know, Andy Massey and Sean Christie, and, mm-hmm. and they were working in a honky-tonk club, like literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what, what made you want to um, do something in Vegas? We, we, saw, we saw the trajectory of the Spanish and Italian kids were going out there, mm-hmm. and they were the money for Memorial Day. So when you went out to Vegas, did you know Andy Massey from Boston? No. Or you met them all we in Vegas? We just walked in a club, mm-hmm. and when the club wouldn't talk to us, we walked in another club. And when the club wouldn't talk to us, we walked in another club. Damn. And we just kept on walking in until we could make a deal. Mm-hmm. And the same thing when we with the nine group. They wouldn't talk to us. We rolled up, convinced the secretaries we had a meeting with them. Mm-hmm. The, the Morton came in the office. He was like, what are you guys doing here? We have, we have a meeting with you. He goes, I don't have a meeting with anybody. How the fuck did you get in the office? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were like, well, we're here. We want to do events with you. <laughs> yeah. And in Miami, and when you started doing Miami, you, we spoke a little bit earlier. <clears throat> About how you had to shift your Memorial Day weekend party from Miami to uh, Las Vegas. Well, we still and did Miami. You still, it, you it still just did. kept it. It was dug out entertainment. You know, it's us. At, yeah. at what point did Miami Memorial Day weekend become like? Because there's all this like, you know. It was like, I think it was <clears throat> 99 or 2000. Yeah, well, two, and two. The, the funny thing is like, yeah. I worked, I was on the streets yeah. for all that. Literally. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was passing out flowers for Bill. I was working 50 hours a week. So I was on the streets like, you know, at the time I had like a street team. I was like, you know, the guy and I had like six, seven other people working for me. Mm-hmm. And it was just like it was I remember being in New York like before Memorial Day. Yeah. And it was like all, I remember listening to the radio and it was like they were like pumping it. Yo, everybody's going to Miami. Yeah. Everybody did come to Miami. What happened was they just weren't prepared for the amount of people that were here. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it got chaotic, man. I mean, like, I remember, like, people just running. Like, I remember something happened and people just started running. And, like, one of, one of the girls that used to pass off flowers for me got trampled. So, like, I, you know, she's like, oh, I don't want to work anymore. I'm like, what happened? And she's like, oh, you know, like people started running because they said shooting, shooting. It wasn't, but they just started running mm-hmm. and they knocked, knocked her down. She, she got all scratched up. And so, you know, I was like, man, this is, this is bad. You know, it's just like they just weren't ready to handle the amount of people. That's all of what, it, what it really was, you know. Essentially, Memorial Day, you know, you, you look back, you go before Memorial Day and you go to the early 90s and you had things like, how can I be down? with Peter mm-hmm. Thomas and then you had like and then we had the Super Bowl the Atlanta Hawks first what the, uh, yeah that was 99 and 99 we we did I did all the events with Puffy and you saw like what came down mm-hmm. and that that Memorial Day it became how can I be down hit meets the Super Bowl <laughs> In, like it was it was it was industry meets hood meets country black folks mm. and like you know New Yorkers could deal with black white they didn't mind mm-hmm. but then once it got country and dudes were like grabbing on the girls and it was like brawls new york faded out and new york really wasn't relevant for memorial day anymore and they you know new york doesn't mind fighting but gun sh- gunfire wasn't the big thing and mm-hmm. 
country motherfuckers here have lots of guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Wild West, man. Even if they come from another town, they came from Atlanta, they came from Georgia, you know, guns are plentiful. New York, guns are not that easy to come by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the most hood dudes, and you're going to go to jail. And they even would, even and if you beat the case, you'll go to jail for two years for gun possession. Yeah. yeah. And they would drive down, and New yeah, Yorkers yeah, would fly down. down. Yeah. yeah, that was that was New the Yorkers same. wanted no part of that. So that was in the two that literally happened in two thousand. Yeah, I think it was either ninety nine. Ninety nine was ninety nine was half and half. Two thousand was straight urban weekends. And then they just started catering to that crowd, you know. So you had like every rapper in the business at the time. I, I remember coming out. I think it might have been ninety nine or two thousand, and I was staying at the Lowe's Hotel. And DJ Clue was there, and he was like with the Rockefeller staff, and they mm-hmm. was about to get into a fight with somebody, and like the whole the lobby of the hotel was just like a mess. Yeah, Everybody but was that like was the lobby of every hotel. Yeah. That's the problem, you know. I mean, there was thousands of people. I mean, I, I really couldn't explain it. It was mm-hmm. just, and they just couldn't handle it. So the year yeah. after, they did all these. You know, they had like, pol- like um, uh, a crazy amount of police presence. You know, mm-hmm. they they put barricades. To this day, they still do it. You know, they right. had a barricade. It was like almost like a war zone, and people just mm-hmm. got like. Everybody was like a hurricane coming, you know. It's like people leave. I'm like, well, you know, whatever. Yes. When did that start happening? When the locals in Miami would just leave because they were like, like it we're, was like we're not dealing with this. It was the year after, which I think it was the 2000 or 2001. 2000, really? 2001, yeah. 2002 to now, the locals just stopped participating. You yeah. couldn't get in, in and out of the beach. Yeah, it was like yeah. insane the the amount of traffic that was going to the beach. I mean, you could be stuck in the in the in the MacArthur for four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't know any better, you know, you just go to the MacArthur, you know, and be there for four hours. And now to like now, what they do is they they track your license plate. It's like a, it's it's crazy still to this day. Really? Yeah. And then, Bill, at what what point did you realize that like after that two thousand, where you're like, I gotta create an alternative? For ninety yeah, nine, we saw we saw the writing on the wall. Mm. We went out there. Chris Rita had gone out there. We were competing with him. Mm-hmm. And then I also, like, you know, at that point, I brought, I think, to Miami, I brought, like, Cassidy and them to Miami. Mm-hmm. Cassidy, yeah. And mm-hmm. then I brought Ronson, and and we used the new AM mm-hmm. um, stretch. We had them bo- do both. Everybody except AM. We had them do Miami one day, and, and the next day they would do, like, Vegas or back in, opposite. And so you you were you still doing parties in Miami? Yeah. yeah. And then you were just bouncing the different crowds in Miami and Vegas pretty much. Correct. And still doing New York. And doing New York. But you yeah. wasn't doing New York as much as you was back back in the days, right? I was doing like, like towards well, the 2000s. Well, I was still I did Flow, I did Lotus. Mm-hmm. I was doing parties, but I was kind of like by the um what Stephen Lewis had done at that point is he realized the the lane that I was in. Yeah. And perfected it. He took Mark Rose, who worked for me. He took mm-hmm. Tony Montana, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. He took Mark Ronson from me. So, like, he took all the pieces away from my puzzle. Mm-hmm. So I had to go look for the next generation. Yeah. You never and, thought about touching L.A.? Um, closes too early. Oh, yeah. One mm. thirty last call would always bug me out, and I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> like, when they would, like, grab the drink out of my hand, it was, like, one of the few things that would really enrage me. I would look at them and be like, <laughs> I'm like I think what the, the fuck just happened? The, 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 first time, the, the first time I went to L.A., that happened to me. I, I went to the, with Bill, actually. We went to Nacional. Was it Nacional? Yeah. That club Nacional that was on, Na- like, Las yeah. Palmas. Ivar. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We went there, and it was, like, Rick one. Rick Calamaro, rest in peace. 
It was like 145, and they're like, Oh, yeah, they're snatching bottles off they, tables. No, yeah. they, I had a drink in my hand. They're like, We're taking that. And I was like, What? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm used to Miami. I mean, we used to stay till like, five. you know, and, and you could just hang out. Like, so we'll be there till five, five thirty, six in the morning, just hanging out. The club will be closed, but we'll just be hanging out with the staff, hanging out with the DJs and whatnot. So, like, I was like, What is this? It's like 145, and you're taking my drink away, you know? Yeah. And, so during this time, like moving into the 2000s, and you were kind of adapting with bottle service. We, I kind of became a homogenized club promoter. Like it was, my parties were fun, but they were kind of, unfortunately, looking back, even though they were magical, yeah, they weren't as magical as the 90s because I wasn't getting the performances. Everything was money. People would call me up. Mm-hmm. Puff would say, yo, Bill, I want, to DJ, I want to host your party. Give me 100 grand. And I would laugh at him. Be like, yo, you should charge me a buck fifty, man. No, fuck? I paid you a buck fifty yeah, to host yeah, yeah, my yeah, party. And, I'll give you two fifty this time. And you know, there was it was just like a different time. So it was amazing, and we had great times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to me, it had become a lot more like business, and I kind of lost my way a little bit. And then Jessica Rosenblum moved to Miami, mm-hmm. and she re-inspired me probably for another like five years, because she started getting me really in touch with the industry people who I lost like eight to ten years ago. And then I got into another war here. Subsequently, did a clothing line that I remember Im- that yeah imploded, and it was amazing. But it did nothing but lose money. What was the clothing line? Spoonfed. Spoon. Oh wow, yeah. Oh sure. That's it's hard name. to do a clothing line. It was the dumbest idea we ever did. <laughs> it was amazing, but dumb. Like we self-produced it, self-manufactured it, self-put our own money in. It was. The investors were us. The partners were us. It mm-hmm. caused my whole team, which was making a ton of money, to mm-hmm. fight with each other. An investor that, that went south on us, he fought with us. Raul was the only stand-up guy in the whole thing. Our partnership actually broke up mm-hmm. all because of that. Raul was the only guy. He left with the investor who I had major beef with. But before that, literally came up to me and said, yo, he offered me something. Would you be offended? And I go, no, dude. Our, my shit is collapsing. Like, if you jump off the ship, I wouldn't have minded if you didn't tell me. But the the fact that you're man enough to tell me beforehand, I'm yeah. wishing you nothing but <laughs> but love. Mm-hmm. Like, I, did I go support? I supported everything he did. I didn't go support the actual thing he did. Mm. Only because I was so mad at the other dude. Yeah. I blamed him, which was my own mistake anyway. Yeah. So, like, you, so you shifted your attention from New York to Miami pretty much? I was in Miami probably. But I was still doing... Because in 2005, 2006, we did Crowbar, and we really right, just, right. you know, we killed it with the DJs, even though it was short-lived. We had Lotus, where I was getting to bring my favorites, the Kid Capris, the mm-hmm. Jazzy Jeffs, you know. Mm-hmm. We, Mighty Mai had, like, his last run in New York before he moved. I had him DJing a lot. We got close again. We nerded out again. <laughs> I, did you notice a change in the DJs? Because this is probably around the boom of Serato. Yes, I would I would argue with AM all the time about it. Like I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time like giving him the position and I would travel with him to the Hamptons. Like when I was off, he would he made it a fact to always call me even though I was the only non-DJ from the crew and I would make fun of his the gayest crew ever because never had a girl around that he wasn't dating. <laughs> <laughs> like he just didn't have like cuz he was such a he was such a music nerd in a great way. Mm-hmm. But I would be like, "Yo, there's not one girl here." <laughs> and they go he goes so you didn't bring any i go i'm nobody you guys are like the main <laughs> so what was the what, what was your argument about serato i just you know i thought it was ruining the 
the club. And then he was like, he would always bring back the time in babies <laughs> when like, or maybe the year before. Mm, Kid Capri. When, yeah, Kid Capri would bring 13 crates, crates. of records. Yeah. And yeah. AM brought a computer. <laughs> and he goes, you had fun paying for all those crates, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you guys, would have, to, you guys yeah. would have to pay for all, his whole travel. Yeah. How much was the experience? And he, he also had like a staff, you know. He had like these two big dudes that were carry his records. Mm. I mean, that was part of the His entourage. The entourage. Yeah. And like, you know, you had to pay for them because he didn't trust security. Because he's definitely that guy who will tell anybody how he feels at any point. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. Him and Clark Kent definitely get the most, like, honest, honest guys ever. Whether you <laughs> like it or not. <laughs> You're going to get their opinion at all times, but Clark is good by himself. Mm. Kid Capri would bring his brother, who was a security guard, and another guy who was essentially his brother because the guy worked with him for like 15, 20 years. Yeah. 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 And then, so during this time, uh, Serato's like kind of taking over, and New York was definitely changing. It was like mm. a, a totally different animal at that time. Yeah. I think I left at two, I, 2005, 2006. Yeah, yeah. So, Did I do your going away party? I remember, I remember when you were leaving. I think so. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, damn, yeah, you did. <laughs> Wait, what, what Bill's was got that? like an elephant memory. You remember? <laughs> like, no, that's like I, little I, things. I, never, I thought I never had the best memory. No, like, dude, Bill so remembers yeah. like these little details that I'm like, how do you, how do you remember this? Like, and the crazy thing is, I did a lot of drugs, which is. You know, hopefully my parents don't get to listen to this. <laughs> I just Sorry, got some. Mom and dad. <laughs> I mean, they obviously know, but like the drugs, thank God again to whoever above, like mm -hmm. pickled my mind, didn't make me have like whole slots of things I forgot. Mm -hmm. I wish I forgot some things. I'm glad I didn't forget <laughs> some things, but I definitely had a good memory. Thank God. So with, with all of this shift happening and, and New York just changing, because I don't really know what was going on towards the late 2000s but i remember djs my homies in new york would tell me like everyone was trying to sound like am it was yeah the only person that wasn't was like the old school guys the sns's mm. the kid capris mm. even though they had gone and mm -hmm. watched i remember the biggest thing i did a birthday party at supper club and it was actually a failure we did 500 people but it wasn't a, like a success mm -hmm. and uh, you know Stephen Lewis did something against us on purpose to try to starve us out. Mm. We had AM perform, I mean DJ, and I invited every DJ to hear him spin. Because mm. DJs were hating on him. Mm. And what every, were they hating on? They were just like, why are you bringing this guy from out of town? Everybody mm -hmm. talks so great about him. He's not the shit. Like, right, right. Mm. He's this, he's that. Yeah. And everybody went and saw him. Like 25 DJs came and listened to him. And every one of them was like, walked out of there, like, yo, he's the man. Damn. <laughs> and all he did was sweat and tell me, I fucking played like shit, B. <laughs> <laughs> so, having, having such a close relationship with AM, you never thought about managing him or making your own, like, I hated, agency? I hated managers across the board. <laughs> okay. even, even the ones that I'm friends with. <laughs> because when I dealt with the DJ directly, they told me what the bottom line was. Mm -hmm. And I could add something on top of it so everybody could be happy. I would deal with managers who were my friends. And all of a sudden, when they would go into management mode, and it would be X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. and, I, and the crazy thing is I was friends with so many managers. Like mm -hmm. Even Lawrence LV, who was AM's manager, yeah. I was close with. Jessica, when she dealt with Flex, and I booked Flex. Mm -hmm. But if I dealt with Flex, I got one number. Jessica, who I was 100% closer with, 
would give me the X number when I dealt with, with Ronson, with anybody that was managing him at that point, when it was Rich Kleiman, there would be the X number and there would be the manager number. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. be so difficult to deal with them. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And so, like, after AM played and everyone, like, New York DJs started emulating AM. I don't think of. the guys that were his age emulated him. They just were enamored by him. Right. But like, the younger the generation. Younger, the, no, the, the, the everybody, up. everybody below him started to become him. Right. AM light, I like to call it. AM light. <laughs> How did that, because to me, that was like, you know, I talk with my, my homies who were probably like, you know, they were probably like, not OGs, but they were definitely the veterans of New York clubs at that time. They think it was like one of the worst times in New York ever. I mean, at that point, I can honestly say because I was dealing with him, and I guess I was riding his wave, and I was fucked up in the game. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't really notice it as much. I mean, when I got sober again, not that I was sober, sober, but when, you know, a couple of years later, I feel the devastation of of the landscape of DJs, you know, just kind of pushing buttons and not being very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's kind of that era where I was making money, I had this brand new talent, and I didn't really notice the kids younger than him. I mean, I did notice the switch in some styles. Like we had a kid who I I got a little love for and he was and he's still think he's a great DJ. But I definitely saw the transition in DJs. Like, you know, we had ruckus spinning for us. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after the era of AM, like, you know, not, he didn't, I'm not saying he emulated him on any level, mm-hmm. but he definitely changed his style. But he, he was also, when he started DJing for us in Miami, he was a 16 year old kid. Super young, yeah. And when, you know, he was like, we gave him his, he, his cousin gave him the first gig. He was the owner of the club. So he made us use him. He actually was good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then hearing him later, you know, he was a hip-hop DJ. And all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I heard him and he was an everything DJ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see, on, and that's a positive, you know, because Ruckus wasn't a guy who emulated him, but, you know, a guy that learned from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there was DJs um, that were just straight biters of him. I, I would walk in clubs sometimes and dudes would be playing AM mixes that he had given me and then act yeah. like they were DJing. Right. Yeah. Damn, that's <laughs> and, it, and at this time... Were you just in like, after like, because Smack ended like your management company, after 2007, it was like, you guys. I think we limped till 2010, but it was really over in 2008. 2008? I mean, we weren't really talking. We, everybody, it was everybody else's fault. Yeah. All the money lost was their fault. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all the good times had disappeared because nobody had saved the money. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, nobody had like money squirreled away. So, you know, everybody was scrambling and it was. This guy's fault. That guy's fault. That guy's fault. That guy's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's you was, easy to blame. But you were still in New York because I remember like Suji would have Suji would have his uh, birthday. You know, yeah, his legendary birthdays in <laughs> August. <laughs> yes, and then it was like black tie event. We'd all have to wear a suit. And then in comes Bill Spector in a white t-shirt, in a white, a white v- t-shirt, a V-neck. Yes, always a V-neck, <laughs> always a white V-neck Hanes t-shirt. And that like was sweat. when I was skinny. It became black V-neck when I when, as I get fatter. That's what you can tell. And Good then job, like, bro. and like sweatpants or some shit, it. right? Yeah, never be bad. It's like, yo, I thought you were supposed to wear a suit. Why is he wearing a and t-shirt? Then, everyone would be like, who's that fucking guy in a white t-shirt? We're like, that's Bill Spector. And they're like, who the fuck is Bill Spector? And we're like. He, Bill Spector could do that shit. Do yeah. like, <laughs> you were the only dude that could do that. I remember being pissed off, and I was like, after that year, though, we were like, we're not dressing up. I know, right? Yeah. After Bill came in, like, the white t shirt with the V. Did the whole um, suit end already, or is huh? it still a thing? It's still a thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. yeah, it's still a thing. It's funny. I, I got that from looking up, and actually, again, I feel like 
it's so weird to me because I'm so not a name dropper, and here yeah. I am. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess, on a podcast, you <laughs> drop names. <laughs> and um, a puffy party. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was not going to dress up, and I was like, it was like one of his first ones that he had done mm-hmm. yeah. after the Hamptons, and it was like, you have to dress up all in white and blah, 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 blah. And you have to be in a white suit, white this, white that. And I was like, there's no way I'm dressing up. And they said, no exceptions. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He said, except Russell Simmons. And I was like, damn, I'm not Russell Simmons. I got to dress up. So I didn't go. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and those those were his legendary ha- parties in the Hamptons, the, the, yes. the white parties. The white parties, yeah. yeah. I've been to one in L.A., but it, was not, it doesn't look as comparable as the one in the Hamptons. Are. I mean, I went to the ones in, like, Cipriani, but, like, I remember when he was, like, mandatory dress up. And I was just like, uh, I'm not Russell Simmons. And uh, it says that everybody has to accept Russell Simmons. I don't know why Russell got a pass. Because he, he wore, sne- cause, he wore sneakers. Oh, and, okay. And at that point, he was the boss. Like, yeah. you know. The obviously, godfather of hip-hop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, now, people have, like, look at him a little less. I don't know. You know, no diss to him. Again, always showed me love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like him and Andre Harrell were the senior statesmen that were still around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they were still relevant in the club scene and in the business world. Yeah. yeah. So in the 2010s, were you living in New York or were you bouncing? I moved, I moved back to New York. I was doing some parties. Mm-hmm. I, I think I sold my place in Miami in 2010 or 2011. I came back to New York, mm-hmm. bounced around, did a bunch of parties. People told me they were great. I, a lot of them I can't remember because they weren't memorable to me and i was like you know having a hard time like trying to transition it mm-hmm. and um uh, then i hit my stride again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when did you start hitting your, your stride you came back to miami no i just no? came back to miami like six months ago eight months ago oh wow, oh wow wow i thought it was like before i thought it was a couple of years you've been moved out here no in in new york they would essentially pay me to like when clubs were going in receivership like vip room i think you were gonna dj for me one night Oh, in VIP really? room and uh and the cops shut it down. Oh shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> so I would I would take that? clubs that were like on their way out and the mm-hmm. owners would say we need to make X amount of dollars so we can get to a good guy clause. And I would be able to have latitude of do whatever I want mm-hmm. in these clubs and I would make them kind of interesting and still make the club money and make me money. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a fun time again because it was like do it yourself as long as the dollars are there. We don't care what the club looks like. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to head towards bankruptcy in in a very clear term. So, like, I'd have a year to run clubs. And the thing is, people go, isn't that depressing? I go, no, it's actually fun because mm-hmm. I would get to hire a staff. Everybody would make a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. Suji was like, let us, do, let us do Scam Saturdays. I was like, done deal. There's no pressure for you. <laughs> he was like, I want to get paid X amount. I was like, done deal. That's so. That's so crazy. That uh, what what? So like a club would be like, look, where would they say like we have one more year on our lease, or was it, or or we have one more year and then we can hit our good guy clause and we could walk away with the, give the owner the keys and not get sued for all these penalties. Mm-hmm. This is the numbers that we need to make to make to break even. This is the numbers that make us make money, and this is the numbers that really make you money and are going to be interesting to you. And then that's when you come in and you and take I would over. Say, and I would say, listen, I want a salary. I want a tier at this number, that number. Wow. And, and I would be like, do you care what it looks like? And I would get to do like A-Ron and hipster parties and hip-hop parties and, and house deep house parties. And like people would say, I want to do a Burning Man party. I'd be like, why? Who wants to go to Burning Man? <laughs> <laughs> and the parties were, but they were interesting. And they were like, I got to see all these things 
make the owners the money that they needed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they could walk, they could get out of the club from not getting sued, and keep satiate my friends and do something interesting. What was the initial uh, like? What was the initial uh, start of that? What was the first opportunity, or what was the first? I was getting them all the time, but I didn't understand the. I only understood the beginning of the club. I never understood the end of the club. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like though we would stay with the club till the end, we were very loyal. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand coming in at the end and playing cleanup. But I, w- I learned a different side of the business, and I got to have fun and really make money doing it. Wow, that's cool. We're transitioning from the two thousand, late two thousands to two thousand, the early two thousands. How did you adapt to social media since that became the major promo? Instead of you running the streets. Great question. Yeah. I don't uh, think we have adapted. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, sort of. I, mean, I mean, I use it all the time and have a great time and I love the banter, but I'm not like. I mean, it's sort of like what Adrian was talking about. Um, you know, it's like, do we post that? Should we post that? You know what I mean? But yeah, you yeah. kind of have to, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's so many situations like, oh, you should post more. You should do this or you should do less. And you should, you know, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to post whatever I want. I, I post too much, but I don't, I don't really care. Like, I'm not yeah, worried exactly. about the feedback. Like, you know, some I, don't, pe- I like your page because you always post, like, like New York, like the old New York. Mm-hmm. Or when something's closing, it's like, I be finding out places closing because of your um, IG page. <laughs> and I definitely, I'm like, I don't really, like, like Raul said, I don't care. Like, you know, what, what somebody do, get mad and unfollow me? Good. You're my <laughs> friend in real life. When I see you, I'll hang out with you. I don't even notice. Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny. Like, I was just at a wedding in Marrakesh and people were like you post too many moments I was like you have 2 million followers I got 5,000 followers I don't give a fuck (laughs) people were actually telling you that that people in social media influencers who were at the wedding were telling me you shouldn't post more than 2 or 3 moments a day and I was like yeah I promote as many as are interesting to me yeah exactly and if they look look nerdy I'm a nerd and if they look cool I'm cool and you know what? Uh, yeah, I've had people tell me that. They're like, oh, your stories are way too long. I can't sit through them. I'm like, it's because I like them. I don't care what anybody <laughs> likes them or not. And I'm going to post whatever I like. If you like it, cool. If you don't, oh, well. It's so earnest because Raul will literally post just a bunch of records. I know. He's playing. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's the greatest thing. It's just posting records you're playing throughout yeah, the day. But that's because like, I'm actually playing them. I'm yeah. at home. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to listen to this. Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, actually, people have told me, they're like, yo, we never knew about this record or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. like, I don't, like I said, I don't care. Like, I like where like, I was <laughs> trying to thought, like, oh, I want to listen to this record, everybody should know this. Snap, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, like uh, last week, uh, for example, I went to see David Rodigan. I don't know if you guys know who David Rodigan mm-hmm. is, no. he's pretty much like the biggest dance hall DJ mm-hmm. in the world. Oh, is it the old white guy? Yes, oh, okay, I know you're talking about now. So, you know, I'm like, I've never seen him. I've been a fan. My friend Jamie from the Do-Over actually put me onto him because okay. I asked him, I was like, oh, who's like the one person you would, you would love to have at the Do-Over that you haven't gotten? He's like, David Rodigan. And I'm like, who's that? And, you know, he's like, yo, look him up. And I did. And I, after that, I was just like, I went on a on a YouTube hole on, on David Rodigan. Mm-hmm. And is he's this old, you know, 60, he's 68. Oh, playing shit. Playing dance hall. Yo, my man's got dub plates from everybody from bob marley on wow. imagine that like it's nuts like everybody i mean he's got like 
shit that no one's ever had and like mm. so to me that was exciting so i went and i was like oh this is crazy that he's playing all this you know and just like recording like the story was really long and people were like yo your story was way too long but i'm like i don't care i was excited for me I'm, right, right. I'm not right. excited for other people. You like it, cool. You don't. I mean, well. isn't that what it's supposed to be about? Yeah, not, not fun. your follower. It's supposed to show the right. inner workings of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. like pretty much. I think my page reflects who I am. I mean, if you know yeah. me, you know that's how exactly how I am. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you like me or not, I don't care. <laughs> but that, that's exactly how the younger generation views it. They view it as a controlled, like it has to be controlled. Like, and I think it should know. be uncontrolled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. I put up a thousand pictures of Marrakesh. You know why? Because I never thought I'd be a Marrakesh. Yeah, yeah exactly. The same thing when I go. So I'll overload you. I'm like, I'm nerding out because I'm nerding. Yeah, it's the same thing when I travel too. I'm like, oh, I'm in Mexico City. Or I'm in, you know, Paris or whatever. You know, I'm like, I'm excited. And I'm like, a, I think me and me and Bill are both history buffs, you know. So we're like, mm-hmm. I'm really into history. Like I was going to, I was going to, I went to school to be a history mi- uh, major. Me too. And so. Really? Yeah, so like, you know, I'm like, yo, this is amazing. This is the spot where this happened. You know, I like, you know, I nerd, nerd out, out like about that, shit yeah, like yeah. that. That's you know, cool. it's like, yo, dude, like this is like, and so, like I said, my page does reflect who I am. You know, I'm, however you see me is how I am on my page. You know, you like me, you like me, you don't, you don't, oh well. How do, how do you guys view nightlife now at, the, at this stage and at this moment? And mm. I have, although I've, I, we had Sean Christie on, on the podcast amazing last week yeah and then um i wanted to ask you guys how do you feel do you think that bottle obviously bottle service will never end but do you think the it, big it's, club it's yeah. it's it's on its way out yeah you think so a big yeah. time at least at least in my, i'm speaking from miami because you know yeah it, you know it's where i'm at the most um it seems like the bigger clubs in miami mm-hmm. you know you're still going to have your bottle service but now for example you know the difference between say Wynwood and Miami Beach you know you rather go to Wynwood they don't like force the the bottle service on you, right. you know? if you want you could get it um and but you know I think like the kids they want to like I think Adrian sort of touched on it you know they don't they don't want to be in a club you know every once yeah. a week you well know? they actually think clubs are corny yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like, they do you know? they really do in, they, in, they, the bar lounge scene is definitely bigger in Miami yeah right? well Sean was saying even though he it's kind of slowed down. He feels that at a certain point when you start making money, it's something that you're still going to want to do. Yeah. So like young no, no, kids are not making money yet to be able to afford buying bottles. You know but what I mean? But he's, he's also on a, on a different level. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, he came from where we are and now he's in the upper echelon. You know, he's above the trenches. He comes back to the trenches to look, but you know, he's seeing it from you, a different... You guys are the trenches? He's, 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 oh, I'm always been in the trenches. I'll, 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 I'll give out a flyer at 50 years yeah, old. Yeah, I mean, like, you, how you were saying that, you know, like, that you were, you know, when um, uh, you were at light and you saw um, uh, Andrew Sassoon, like, that's how I am. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, like, my bars, like, I, I don't care. It, it, like, it doesn't... Uh, people used to think I was a bouncer at my bar because mm-hmm. I would just sit there, you know, by myself, looking, just looking and right. absorbing because I was always usually in black. So, like, hey, uh, uh, where, where's the bathroom? People used to think that I was a bouncer. <laughs> it's over there, you know? I'm like, I'll, I'll pick up stuff, whatever. I'm, you know, 100% it's, true. It's not, it's not below me, man. I mean, it's not. Like, I'm a regular person. I'll go to... I, I, think, I, I think the one thing I could say, you know, I don't talk too good about myself but like my worth ethic is something that i like really mm-hmm. it's some it's one of my strongest points you know it's like For I, sure. I will outwork anybody if the money's right i will outwork you you know and and in new york 
what you were talking about when we when we go back to like the stuff you'll see like places like Brooklyn Mirage crushing it. Mm-hmm. And what now when I talk to the youth and I talk to kids all the time about clubs, I talk to them about what used to be and they think I'm like I'm ancient <laughs> and I still do a party, a monthly party with Stretch and, and M's in Soho House and young kids come in and it's oh, all wow. and it's all forty fives. It's called super disco breaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dante started it, and we took it to another level. You do that once a month, right? He's yeah. DJing now, right? Yes, he's DJing all forty fives as well. I heard he uh, he he loves it. He's having a, a like a ton of fun, but he like he gets belligerent about the equipment. Like he's always big time. He's always <laughs> complaining and cursing somebody, the sound guy, out because of the equipment. Is it a specific like day of the month or a specific? Um, we do one Saturday of the month in Soho House in New York, and you know they, the DJs spin all forty fives. And I, we have younger people come downstairs into the room and they're like, can you play this? And we're like, no, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from them is they they're want experiences. They're not interested in a, going to a club once a week. They couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. They want to go to an experience, say Heineken gives them something and it's Tyler the Creator or anybody. It doesn't matter. They want to say, oh, I went to that event. Mm-hmm. If it's just a regular club night, they're 100% not interested in mm-hmm. it. And that's where like places like Brooklyn Mirage have won because they literally are open probably 340 days out of the out of the year, mm-hmm. and they give 340 different experiences. One night it's Burning Man, one night it's this, one night it's Jamie Jones, one night it's so they'll do all these different things, and different crowds come, and everybody go went to an event there. Nobody yeah. went to the club night, even though it's all fucking club nights. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you do feel like bottle service is a wrap. It's, I don't want uh, to say it's a wrap, but it's just, it's, it's decline. Yeah. I it, mean, it, it could also be, you know, it could come back around as well, you know? Listen, the club doesn't care where it gets the money from. Listen, mm-hmm. Eleven gets money from fucking the door. Mm-hmm. Eleven gets some money from bottle service. Eleven gets some money from hats and sweatshirts. <laughs> the door is better money than any, any amount of, any amount of bottle service. Mm-hmm. Bottle service, the return investment is... You know, you have to pay out 35% for the product, 20% for the product. Mm-hmm. What do you pay for door revenue? A cashier and a security guard? Yeah. You're getting 99.9% profit. Yeah. What do you think of all these DJs? Like, uh, you know, obviously we've been seeing the trend, all these DJs starting their own parties. That's um, for a DJ to ma- remain relevant. They need to do that. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you look at so many people. I went to, I went to the first five to seven you know, parties that Ellie Escobar did when there was nobody there. Tiki Disco, right? Yeah, and he was like doing his own thing and I never could have seen it blow up the way way it did. So impressed to it. And then if you look on the other side, MoMA. Yeah. Asked me for work for years. I knew he was a good DJ and Mm -hmm. never booked him, you know. Mm -hmm. Created his own wave, everyday people. Those things are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, if you want to be a DJ and... Mm -hmm. And you don't have the lane. That's the only way to make the lane. I see they're doing it in L.A. They're doing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Raul and, and Adrian did it in, in Miami. Raul should be a DJ. <laughs> well, sure. I was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, back to what we were saying, I think you guys talked about it. It's just like when at least when I was coming up, I actually wanted to be a DJ. You know, I, that's yeah. what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was okay. I was whatever. But it was also like going to Bill's parties and seeing all these DJs. And I was like, I don't want to DJ anymore because they were so good. I mean, like seeing like Riz, 
like I was blown right, away yeah. by Riz. I mean, I was just like, whoa, like Ronson. Riz on vinyl, yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> the Insane. DJ's DJ. Yeah. 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 There is none better. I mean, but it just and like. He, and he's the greatest guy to me. Yeah, he's yeah. like calm, humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He, he DJed for us all the time in New York, mm-hmm. and every DJ would sweat him. Yep. And the crowd would never even notice him, just think it was a good night. Like, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that profound effect where it'd be like. Like say one of the DJs that yell in the mic. Like he didn't have that like right. command of the room where he was yelling and screaming. But mm-hmm. yet everybody would leave the he DJ for us in Fat Black in Palladium. Yeah. Rock the night. Everybody was like, who DJ? Mm-hmm. Riz. Oh, yeah. I grew up with him. But like he doesn't. He never had to capture it by screaming. Mm-hmm. It was all yeah. the music and mixes. Yeah, just yeah. tremendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of like what. I, but you know what we were talking about, like DJs now the, the to big DJs quiet. then. Yeah, you know, it's just like, dude. Like at least when I was coming up, these dudes were so good. Like even like Craze, you know, I remember seeing Craze in, in Miami, mm-hmm. and it was just like, yo, I'm never gonna get to that level. Right. Well, I, I maybe I could, but it would be years of practice, mm-hmm. which I didn't have. I was just, you know, I'm like, oh, I gotta hustle to do something to get make some money. So it's just like I would have to sit down, you know, practice, you know. And it was just like going to Bill's parties <laughs> demolished my dreams, you know. It's just like I was like, dude, like these guys are so good. I mean, just like sitting back, yeah, you know. Man. And I had like first, you know, front row to see all these guys, you know, whether it be yeah, like AM, Kid Capri, Funk Flex, Ronson, like all these mm-hmm. old guys that Bill would bring down. And mm-hmm. I was just like, <laughs> or even Miami guys. I mean, listen, shout out to Craze. Like he DJed for me. I haven't seen him in years or talked to him in years. Yeah. He DJed for me in '96 or '97. He did wow. a Saturday night party for me. Mm-hmm. And even though we didn't book him often, I mean, a skinny Khaled. Me and me and Khaled were 180 pounds together. Wow. In '97. <laughs> <laughs> is and, it? Is it? And he DJed our parties as well. You know, it was oh, like shit. definitely. Uh, Has he changed a lot, Khaled? Do you? T- I, I'm, Listen, I, my thing is I'm very quiet, and if people don't talk to me, I'm not really going to talk. I'm not going to make the effort. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a mistake on my part because I'm definitely, like I told you, an extrovert, introvert. I, I'd like to be the shy guy, but I overcompensate on it by being the loud guy. But mm-hmm. it's not my nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's some New York shit, though, kind of, a little bit, you know? N- neurotic Jewish guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the subway shit, you know? Like, yeah. you know, don't fuck with me. I won't, I won't, I won't fuck, fuck with you. Yeah. Stay in my shit. I have a quick question, Bill. Uh, now that everybody... Like anybody can become a DJ and stuff like that. And back then, you kind of you had your criteria on how to pick out a good DJ. Nowadays, what do you look for in a good DJ? Because now everybody can play the same records, right? All the hot records. So, what is that one criteria where you're like, that's the dude, and that's who I'm picking up? I mean, it's hard now because like every it's much more button pushing than it is music but mm-hmm. and also like you know i don't have my pulse on the new music like right younger kids do mm-hmm. so like i kind of go to the same old same old and they kind of have to introduce me to somebody and i go through the whole bonding period you know i definitely was blessed you know doing like maybe 30 years of djs and i got to find a hundred 200 of them that fit into my criteria and i fit into their criteria and mm-hmm. we worked well together mm-hmm. there was tons that were even better but you know we didn't we didn't fit into the same mold. Yeah. And now now it's harder for me to find them. So personal relationship is still very vital for you. Of course, because the the my it's my vision of the party, so it has to be their vision of the party. Mm-hmm. So our vision kind of has to be aligned. Interesting. So like now, you're in Miami. You you've been here since six months ago, right? 
And then you open a restaurant here, a sushi restaurant, yeah. in the Versace mansion. How yes. the fuck did that happen? How did you get involved with that? Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it ha- it, and we're going to go eat there later. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happened very backwards. It's kind of an amazing story. You know, um, a kid I used to work for me in the nightclubs. He went into own restaurants and everything. Pitched me on an idea. I wasn't really sold on it. Told me where it was going to be. I was less sold on it. <laughs> um, my friends actually owned the venue. And so we... I worked it out. They owned the Versace mansion? Yes. Wow. It's the Nakash family that started Jordash. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shout out to more New Yorkers. And for the, for the, our fans, Jordash was a, jean, a popular jeans back in the 80s, yes. 70s, 80s. They still make them probably, right? Yes, they do. Yeah. They do? Yeah. Yes, I remember they the commercials. <laughs> the Jordash. Yeah. I, think they try to, <laughs> I think they try to make a comeback. I yes. think. No, oh, yeah? They're, they're on some retro, like, yo, oh, we, okay. these were big in the 70s and 80s yeah. type of stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they own the property. We pitched them on a joint venture deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they have they have money in it. We have money in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I came down to run it. And, you know, it made me a promoter again. I love it. We played old school hip hop in the club. In the, in oh, the su- nice. So you're getting 90s hip hop for the most part. And is you're there getting, a DJ or is it just No, music? I wish there was a DJ. They wouldn't yeah. let me. Yeah. They oh, would, yeah. So it's overhead music and stuff. They actually, the children who I got to deal through, Shaul and Ariel Nakash, Grew up coming to my parties, so you know really? they they knew That's what dope. it. Yeah. And um, they the first thing they said is you could do anything you want, but no fucking DJ. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they're and they're DJ nerds. Not even not even they started out as hip hop kids, but went into the house world. Mm-hmm. Like they love DJs. Like they're guys are like still in their forties. Like are excited when a DJ comes to town. Like so and so is performing, and you're looking. Mm-hmm. You have a teenage kids that are almost adults you're gonna go to the club with them mm-hmm. they're like yes <laughs> so it's it's a great small project and from that i'm gonna use it to to push a couple more projects that i have an idea and maybe uh we'll open a lounge and call it the the walkers and you know you'll have to have a walker to come in <laughs> with some tennis balls <laughs> and where's the where's the restaurant located in the mansion it's actually in the living room of his bedroom Damn. his bedroom living room like his, uh, his no, his, his master suite. Yeah, yeah. So take his master suite. We, mm-hmm. The bedroom they put kept on the side because there's 10 rooms you can rent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we took the living room of his master Shit. suite. How big is that room? Wow. Five, 700 square feet. Damn. It's Damn, dope. You guys are going to come through tonight. And, uh, yeah, yeah, man. And it's <laughs> funny. I feel like a nightclub guy in there because I'm talking to people. I'm hanging out with people. Yeah, yeah. And there's no one outside that wants to shoot me. <laughs> of course, <not. laughs> it's funny. It's, <laughs> no pun intended. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you, I'm here all week. <laughs> yeah. Were you ever into like house? I'm um, yeah, house um, music. Of course, you did some house parties. Yeah, back yeah. Days, right? and yeah. I and I was always I, I was very close to like the old school house guys. Like shout out to Todd Terry, oh, to man, Kenny man. Dope. Mm-hmm. Still good friends with them. Little Louis Vega. I did the Masters at Work party for a couple of years. I went to music conference, by far the best party I'd ever uh, done yeah. in my life, mm-hmm. even though it's not my lane. You know, Armand Van Helden, mm-hmm. all those. I, I did a big party in, in the 90s called Together. Yeah, and I it remember was in, that party. It was in the Roxy, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it was one of the first raves in New York, and it, oh, wow. a guy Tom Mello did it, and he brought every big DJ yeah. in the world. Yeah, the main room was house, and then you had the hip-hop in the had, small rooms. I had two small hip-hop rooms. Yeah, like Stretch and Mighty Mind. Stretch, Mighty Mind, Cash Money from... Mm-hmm. From Philly, wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like we had just great, great DJs. Like all he wanted was talent. Mm-hmm. He was like, 
you bring me the best talent, I am going to fill the club. I mean, I, I did a lot of work in the club too, but I, I didn't need to. I was just accoutrement. Mm -hmm. And it was, the party yeah, did. That was like, a big party. To, yeah, it did days. four or 5,000 people every Friday. Mm -hmm. what, what made you choose, like you did a house party here, but your main bread and butter? or No, more? I would do the hip hop room. This oh, kid. okay, I got and, it. And so he yeah. would just say, listen, you just bring the best talent in hip hop into these two small rooms. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put 3,000 people on the main floor. You make a room that everybody can go in and just dance and have a great time, and but the talent has to be there. Mm -hmm. Mighty Milo spun almost every week. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't care about budgets. I mean, he cared. You know, he was like, but you know, it was never like say a DJ was making five hundred thousand dollars, he would never be like eight hundred bucks or four hundred dollars. He'd be like, all right, cool. We just need to get to this magical number of four thousand people. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then and we did it every week for like two years. It was definitely an eye opener. Yeah. In, in a great mm -hmm. way because. He brought all these weird DJs. I had no idea who they were, like Sasha and Digweed and Tiesto, and mm -hmm. yeah, and Damn. they didn't they didn't matter. They weren't big. What a balance that is! Tiesto one room and then Marty Mai or, or Cash Money another <laughs> yeah. room. It's nuts. <laughs> and then so when the EDM era kind of started coming in the late two thousands and early two thousand tens, what what was your like perception of that? Were you the truth? Yeah, I mean I'm. I'm very happy it's over, specifically for one reason. <laughs> Why is that? Because essentially they took great house music, mm -hmm. and because they didn't like the attitude of the old house heads, mm -hmm. made their own music and denied that it had anything to do with the past. Like they just straight deaded the New York and Chicago house, which was their grandfather, mm -hmm. and just cut them off. Like said, no, this is EDM, it's electronic music. No, motherfucker. It, this shit was descendant of house music and give those dudes their props. So what? They have bad attitudes. They never got money. Let them have bad attitudes. Do you see that happening with the hip-hop music? Yeah, of course. There's a, Listen, you, you've seen it in, in great rappers. You've seen it in Jay-Z, you know, taking the industry for what they did to the Cold, cold crush. crush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, you know, those dudes didn't make money. You should give them something back. Like, don't cut it off from them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like AEDM just specifically did that because they didn't get love from like the old, the old black and Spanish house dudes, like, mm -hmm. you know, that they thought they deserved. They thought yeah. they would come from Germany or Switzerland or Spain and be like, and these dudes would be like, great, you guys, like, no, they were the gods. So you give them their props. Right. And, they'll, and if they like you, they'll reciprocate. It, yeah. it kind of yeah. started the era of, like, remember the DJ used to be the introvert. Mm -hmm. And it made like the DJ become an extrovert, mm -hmm. and it's kind of been starting to leak over to hip hop. I mean, Kid Capri's always been an, an extrovert, <laughs> but the majority of like regular club DJs, like working DJs, he was also an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it it was like we were all introverts, you know. We mm -hmm. we were kind of like we weren't the the noticeable cool guy or whatever. So we ended up wanting to play music at the clubs, mm -hmm. and I think with EDM, it, it became all these extroverts and. It, I think actually DJing got put to the side because it became about, you know. Did they DJ? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't Great know. question. I don't know. You know what I mean? And shout out to all them. You know, they ate in my, they ate in my restaurants and I like them and I'm not hating. But, you know, I feel like they really just dissed like a bunch of people like that I look up to. Yeah, yeah. That's, ne never to me personally, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like. But... It's it's funny because in nowadays with EDM and uh, you you feel like it's on its way out or like what 
for sure. Listen, you're seeing like the house scene and like, you know, now there's this new thing, like, Deep House. Yeah, techno. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, what you're playing is not Deep House. Deep mm -hmm. House is old, soulful house that you would hear in Paradise Garage. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also like people, the same thing were like, you know, it was like, oh, I like techno. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, you know, I, you know, I knew techno in the 90s, you know? Yeah, yeah. So my idea of like, you know, like the, you know, Kevin Saunderson's or Juan Atkins, you know, that's my idea of techno. Of course. But, you know, now it's evolved into, you know, it's not techno to me, you know? I'm not and I'm not even into techno. But, you right, know, right. I was just like, um, you know, for example, I went to some night and some spot and they were playing like techno. And I was like... It's not really techno. It's more house, like minimum yeah. house, but, you know, it evolved, I, I guess. I mean, technically, was Sandstorm techno at the time? It was, right? I said that, yeah. That's techno. I say that was techno. Sandstorm was like techno. Yeah, that was techno. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And then, World, hold on. <laughs> it seems to be like the new wave of techno and deep house. Everyone wants to be a deep house DJ now. Hey, yeah, but is that is that really deep house? I mean, I think Little Louis Vega, David Morales mm -hmm. or are deep house DJs. I mean, I didn't know that like Yeah. like some guy Bedouin, no offense, like you know, I li actually just I like the music, but that's not deep house to me. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny because I'm seeing a newer generation of of DJs like I call it the mashup era just because that was the commercial perception of what open format hip hop DJing was. We called it hip hop DJing. It is hip hop DJing because yeah. a hip hop DJ had to play everything. I mean, yeah. but no one wanted like Vegas didn't want to call a night a hip hop party, so no, they, they had to call it a mashup party, or they had to change open the format. Open yeah. format. <laughs> open yeah. format is DJing. Yeah, hip hop, so you can only bring white people. Let's yeah. be real and call it what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm seeing a new generation of that. You know, everyone was an EDM DJ or mixed EDM and hip hop. And now, you know, I'm seeing like this new generation bringing some of the classics in and some of the old school and funk and soul and just mixing it all in. But they're they're doing it in a very different way, you know, like and it's I think everything is just getting renamed and re <laughs> you know, it's like re emerging as something. Reimagining yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For this new generation and whatnot. I mean, in New York for specifically, which I can speak to because I go out more than I come go out in Miami, mm -hmm. is in New York, there's a whole big Brooklyn scene emerging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Williamsburg, right? It's 20, 22 years old. Like, I'm like a chicken hawk in there. <laughs> I go and meet a girl, and then I find out I'm older than her parents. <laughs> like, it's, it's great. It's just not <laughs> Is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't know. Listen, when they call you daddy, it might really be real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs> Were you um like what was your impression of the the APT movement kind of at the time? I, I actually liked it, you know. Yeah. Go especially to Bob's party on Monday. Mm -hmm. I went to I think Language did a party. I went to a bunch of the parties, and then you know, listen. At that point, I was going to to Bungalow Eight a lot, and mm -hmm. Bungalow Eight was great because they had great DJs and great let them, DJs, yeah, and they let yeah. them play whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't somebody going to the booth and telling Eli Escobar or Soul. Mm -hmm. Or Jesse or anybody, you know, play this. Right. If it wasn't yeah. Amy telling you, they would literally look at you, and be like, "Go fuck yourself." Right. With a smile, <laughs> and that in the most fabulous club that ever happens because it probably didn't make a ton of money, mm -hmm. but it was definitely let only good people in that she decided were good people. Yeah. It was amazing that they just let DJs play. Yeah. If you were good enough to spin, you were going to spin whatever you wanted, mm -hmm. even if the mm -hmm. whole place hated it. 
I was so jealous of like the DJs who could put bungalow eight on there. Because <laughs> remember, we, I used to make I, I used to make business cards or like. At the time, there was no websites, so like you had you put all all, all your venues that you DJed yeah. on the. I'd be like Pangea show, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then I never could put like Bungalow <laughs> Eight, and then all the D, everyone in my circle, you know, Rocktagon Ross One, everyone was in Bungalow. Yes, yeah. Rocktagon always spun there. Yeah, yeah. DJ Andy, yeah. <laughs> Andy Brown. He was gonna yes. change his name Andy always, yeah. <laughs> but um. And he was great because I would eat yeah. my grilled cheese all banged up and sit and argue with him about anything. Blue, no yellow. No, this C Bank is better than than Soul Sonic Force. No, you're crazy. And I'd be eating my grilled cheese at like three in the morning. I had a, had already done my party wherever I was doing a party and could always argue with him about something. <laughs> how how important is it? Because you guys always said this, like I'll stand I'll stand in the club and just watch everything that's going on and that's actually one of my favorite things to do and i and i love i i honestly would love to go out more if i could just be unnoticed and could just stand in the booth or outside the booth in a safe area where i could just listen to the music and watch people i could do that for like two three hours you know agreed yeah Yeah. i think my thinking we just i was talking to a friend about this but hanging outside of a club to me is the best outside yeah. oh yeah yeah just talking shit and yeah just seeing the interaction of like particularly people coming up to the doorman and all that yeah, yeah. It, I, I i personally used to just hang outside i'd rather just hang outside just like that to me was a little more interesting like you know just hang outside no one knows who i am and, and you know people you know arguing with the doorman and whatnot and, I mean, I I'm, I come from the bill school of promoting you know yeah. being outside and you know talking to people and whatnot mm-hmm. i got that from bill I was. It's one of my favorite things to do. I mean, and I don't do it as much anymore, just because I don't like in Vegas. It's very. You different. can't do it in Vegas. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Everyone's gonna be like, "Yo, take a shot. Like, do this or do that," mm-hmm. and then like it becomes this whole thing, and everyone wants to get you on social media. Yeah, but I, I hate that, man. <laughs> I just, I just loved always just going to the club, like mm-hmm. watching the, like looking at the lights, looking at like the vibe. How like the people that that were there and the DJ how enjoying they control, the music. It, the most important thing watching a DJ control a room for two to three hours and seeing how he he took it from up down, left to right, mm-hmm. and just being like wow, like you know. It's funny. I I've always the irony was never lost on me. Even when I was in my biggest and my smallest, I would do what you did, and I would sit there and watch the whole thing, and I'd be like, wow, I was part of this creation, mm-hmm. and I was like, better than that, everybody's having a good time. Um, great music is being spun. Everybody's making money, and I made a living out of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would literally leave like on good nights, and that 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 was my thought of everything. People didn't need to know my name. I didn't, the only reason my name was on a flyer, and I swear, I mean, I have a big ego. Nightclub has nothing to do with it, but the only reason my name was on a flyer is because it drew people, not because I wanted my name first, my name last. I couldn't care less about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Like again, have an ego club related is not it and um i was like all these people having a great time like in palladium that night before in (laughs) fat black before the fight which was another big fight in fat black (laughs) and um and i was like wow this is so amazing probably 200 people here know who i am but i'm sitting in the booth with riz with 100 records as he's blasting through them yeah and and i'm like wow and i was like and i made money doing this and every one of these people's having a great time i was Mm -hmm. like this is a win-win-win situation. You know and what? of course, my ego 
got the best of me, and a riot erupted downstairs five minutes later. You know what? My favorite party was Honeycomb Hideout. I couldn't wait for Saturdays to come to go there just to hear Mighty Mind Spin. Below Window Sheen. Yep, exactly. Yep. How was the, what was the, at that time, because I was never allowed into those parties. I was probably too young and whatnot. Uh But like at the time, what was the best thing about a Bill Spector party? It was just the vibe was dope, man. Everybody got along. Everybody was hanging out. Everyone knew each other. Yeah. It was, it was like mixed crowd. Yeah, I mean, mixed crowd. Yeah. yeah. The mm-hmm. same thing in Miami, you know, the first time I went to Bill's party, it was just like, you know, and I knew some of the people from the beach and whatnot. It was just the mix of people, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It was either like black kids, yeah. white kids, Spanish yeah. kids, skaters, New bunch York, of skaters. New like, York, you had your downtown kids, yeah, uptown exactly. kids, you had the actors, models, rappers. Yeah. Dude, I, I remember seeing at Bill's um, uh, when he started doing home cooking, um, What's her Jennifer Lopez. Saw her a bunch of times there. Yeah. Um, what was her? Um, she came with Puffy. She also came when she was mm-hmm. dating Pacello. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah. what was it? Um, Shakira. Shakira used to hang out there. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even know. Who, no. Like the even reason I even know who she was because I, I, I went with this girl I was dating at the time and she's like, oh my God, it's Shakira. <laughs> and I was like, who? He's like, she's at the time she was, she wasn't even a singer then. She was just like a soap opera actress yeah but she knew her from like as the soap opera mm-hmm. it's like oh shakira so it's like you would always see somebody at yeah. bill's parties and it, and in miami you know you wouldn't see that so much you know you would see that at the big clubs but never at the like you know local parties you know yeah. i remember every rapper came through bill's party then the cool thing was they would hang out with the crowd it was just yeah. chilling no one yeah. no one would bother them, nobody like, bothered them. yeah you'd be like oh shit they go leonardo dicaprio just he's just hanging out the bar doing his thing <laughs> chilling <laughs> <laughs> He was always, uh, for me, so you, you would call it maybe like the first multicultural hip-hop party. A hundred percent. I mean, that that was you know, the lane I always wished. And what to, I loved yeah. about your parties was, I love, like, going to the hip-hop parties back in the days was kind of rough because you didn't know what would happen. Something might jump off, a fight would break out. <laughs> but you go to, like, your parties downtown, it was, like, all cool vibe. There was, like, no fights, nothing. Well, once in a while, there might have been fights. But other than that, it was, a, it was a cool vibe. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. And you get to hear good hip-hop. Awesome. I missed out, man. Yeah, I'm jealous. I think Me and Jamie missed I out. I think we, you know, well, at least in Miami, I remember going to parties in Miami, like the hip hop parties in Miami. Yeah, and and I was thinking about this. When did it actually change? When, like, at least in Miami, mm-hmm. like Puffy and the Bad Boy Records is what brought girls to parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prior to that, I remember going to, you know, I was like a. The funny thing is, like, I grew up in Miami, but I was like a New York hip hop head, you know. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, you know, I, I would buy the Source magazine. I used to go to Flea Market USA, which is like a swap shop here, yeah. and buy the Source and read air, like, you know, from cover to cover read the magazine and like stay yeah, up on everything i was like yeah yeah i mean i was like a new york like i mean I, to this day i i'm pretty still am you mm-hmm. know it's like i'm a east coast new york you know that was like my steez right there and like in miami it was still kind of not really so much of that you know it was like miami was a big in like freestyle and booty mm-hmm. and booty base whatever and that was like the thing you know so people used to think they're like oh you're wanna be new yorker and I was like, no, I'm from Miami. But it's like, no, but you want to be a New Yorker. I'm like, why is it? Because, you know, I would listen to like Nas, main source, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't really cross over in Miami. So yeah. when the parties, when there was hip hop parties prior to Bill's, 
Like I would go to the parties and it would be like a hundred dudes, mm-hmm. one girl, right, yeah. right, and she had a boyfriend. <laughs> so you know, it was like. But when it started transitioning, I think it was like the whole bad boy records. You know, it's like when you would see like, more girls. Like, and then I remember going to a bill party and it's like, well, I'm at a hip hop party and there's girls. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I was like, like yeah. I was like blown away. <laughs> we kept two clickers. Yeah, we kept was, two clickers. Like you said before, you were strict at the door. You know who to let in, and yeah. who not to let in. But it was very important because we learned very early. Enough girls, guys won't hit each other. <laughs> Again, yeah. doesn't matter ethnicity, race, I I used money. To have to wait, wait online is like, all right, you, there has to be like a certain amount of girls to come in before you could come in. Because if there's enough girls, dudes will not beat each other up. Mm-hmm. Dudes that dislike each other won't beat each other up if there's enough girls to go around. <laughs> <laughs> we think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, is there anything else we want to touch on? Oh, we did a great job. Yeah, yeah. the well, Godfather definitely. of nightlife in in New York. Yeah, no way. <laughs> Peace to the gods. Peace to the earth. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to top that resume. He just dropped the whole two hours right now. This was well, incredible. We're about to wrap this up. We, we're gonna go eat at Bill's restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. sushi but, by hey, Boo for sushi by Boo. In the in the living room, over but uh, yo, I'm, I'm really like uh, I'm really looking forward to the next projects that you know that you're gonna that you're gonna drop. I mm-hmm. actually have something uh, in yeah. my, up my sleeve. I mean, uh, it's a big sleeve these days. <laughs> Hopefully, I get a little skinnier, but <laughs> it's a nice sleeve. Nice, <laughs> nice shirt, yeah. Yo, uh, you know, I'm well, trying to get loud. Well, no. Peach Fuzz. <laughs> oh, yeah, Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz. Was Shout out to Raul. Without Raul, I wouldn't be where I am 100%. Nice. Nah, definitely Miami. Yeah. Nah, it's vice versa. Like, <laughs> like that, There would definitely be no Raul if, like. There's yeah, a, lo- a lot of humble pie to go yeah. No, nah, right? like, Bill, Bill gave me a chance. You know, that's all I w- ever wanted was a chance. Well, I, I think yeah. he's given everyone a chance. Somebody gave me a chance. Yeah, that's great. Yo, Bill. Uh, yo, Raul, Bill Spector, thank you for coming through, man. Thank it's you guys so much. Honor, man. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys. Yeah. Wow. And you can check out this video alongside with all our new videos dropping every Friday on YouTube.com slash Road Podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell to get the first, be the first to get the video, and that's it. Yeah. And shout out to DJ, DJ City. City. We out. Peace. Peace. Peace.